All right, welcome everybody to episode 49, Sweden Part 2. I am Dr. Christopher Fasano. He is Dr. Yosef Gannat, and this is the Stem Cell Podcast. What's up, Yos? How's it going, man? Oh, you know, I, I feel like I'm building up all my uh, my science roundup topics since we haven't done any for the last two, <laughs> for this episode. There's going to be an explosion <laughs> of, uh, of roundups <laughs> yeah. coming in uh, episode 50. We're going to have a big a big portion of the show. That's going to be a great show, episode yeah, 50. Yeah, don't, don't ruin the surprise. I won't ruin the surprise, but so you guys, I'm sure I, I, I we saw we had a really great response to episode would have been episode 48 it's the first part of our sweden interviews you know we are the official podcast of the international society for stem cell research the isscr so we attended the meeting and we were broadcasting live and pulling people aside and asking them to tell their stem cell story and we had a lot a lot of interviews which i'm sure everybody uh got to hear for the first step that first part was two hours so we, we definitely got you through your day, your cell culture, or your job for a good chunk of time. Yeah, that may be um, an episode you want to listen to at 2x speed. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, and, and, and I, know it's a lot of, I know it's a lot of content, but I think, it's, I think it's a win-win for both. I think the audience gets a different perspective. They get to hear from people doing this work, not just us, not just papers, but they get to actually hear live people interested in stem cells. And for us... Joseph and I, it gives us a little chance to take a little bit of a break because, um, you know, we don't have to do, uh, we don't have to arrange the interview and do all the stuff. So Yosef and I can get some time off and still give you really great content. So I think it works out for everybody. So this episode is the second half. So we have another, uh, uh, we'll have a, a kind of a long show. So we won't do this too long talk. We're not going to have another roundup. We're just going to go into the interviews and then we'll close it. And we'll do a rant. And then episode 50 which will be the next show, we'll resume the normal format with our uh, Thermo Fisher-sponsored roundup. And um, that show, Yos, we have a really great treat for episode 50. We were able to get Dr. George Daly uh, from Children's Hospital at Harvard Stem Cell Institute, who is a huge fish. Yeah, you ruined the surprise, but it's a good surprise. So I, want, I, I wanted to tell them. <laughs> I have to tell them. I wanted to you know, build it up and let people come. Um, so it's, it's, uh, Dr. Daly will join us and, uh, you know, he's a guy that's been in this a long time. He's a medical doctor as well. And so he's kind of seen, and he's in hematology. And so in that field, in the, in the blood, we know that bone marrow transplantation is a form of, you know, the most well-known and successful stem cell therapy. And so he's seen that and he's become a huge, uh, a researcher in the stem cell world. So we'll, we'll get to hear his perspective from past, present, and future. That'll be a, uh, a really awesome episode. And we'll resume the roundup, like Yo said. We got a lot of papers building up. Yeah, so uh, also for this particular episode, we, we, we ended it with a bang, I feel like. Uh, it was sort of, you know, random that we, we were able to get the president, Dr. Sean Morrison, uh, to come and talk on the podcast. So you'll hear him at the end of the episode, and it's really, I thought it was the perfect way to end the whole experience. So uh, he was It a really wasn't. That, that was just random, like you yeah. said. It wasn't like we arranged that. Yeah, we yeah. We just kind of saw him there towards the end, and we grabbed him, and he came over. We we also have Paul Tizar on this piece. We have Yoko Panna on this piece. So um, we 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 got a we got a bunch of things that you guys should enjoy it. So I think um, you know again we're not doing the roundup, but I want to you know acknowledge Thermo Fisher for um, you know helping the show and contributing and sponsoring the roundup. So uh, just remember to go to our website stemcellpodcast.com and click on the banner for Thermo to find out more information about their products. We'll get back into the roundup next next episode, but I think we should just uh, let the uh, interviews commence. 
Okay, so we're here with Leonardo Ferrer from Harvard University in Cambridge, uh, Mass, United States. How's it going, Leo? And welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me here. So you were telling us you work with Chad Cowan and who who else? And Jack Strominger. Okay. Jack Strominger. I, I'm not familiar with the name, but uh, what are you working on? So I work at the intersection of genome editing and immunology. Uh huh. So we're very interested in pushing blood stem cell therapies into the clinic. Okay. So for this, we've been recently able to use CRISPR-Cas9 mm. to edit genes in primary human blood cells. Oh, okay. So we've knocked out CCR5, the nice. HIV receptor. Yeah, we don't, in, we don't want that yeah. uh, for yeah. HIV. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so we've done that and also Bertumacrogobulin. Uh-huh. This is a very important tiny protein that's required for MHC class 1 expression on the surface. Okay. So we'd be able to basically ablate the major isocutively complex genes uh-huh. on the surface of these cells. So this is this is basically reduce the immune barrier for cell therapy. So it's a trick oh. to trick the body into thinking that it's not foreign. Exactly. Right? Yeah, we were just talking about That's that. A good we were idea. just talking about the MHCs and things like that. How body, how things get recognized so as foreign. Say you have that knockout line from a patient, uh, say yeah. a Parkinson's patient, and yeah. you wanted to make neurons that uh, I guess even. Not even IPS. You could use an ES cell line, and that way yes. those yeah. neurons would fly under the radar. Is that the yeah. idea? So it is to have very established, even embryonic stem cells that make a cell type very, very well. Mm. And so we could use them as an off-the-shelf product to transplant to anyone that would need this cell product. Now, is this technology or idea licensed? Do you have to pay somebody to do what you're doing, or you guys are just doing it regardless i mean i i always wonder how like something like an idea like that even though it's you know free knowledge in the sense has somebody restricted that yeah so definitely have some ip going on and other and other groups have this as well so it's definitely a very pertinent question and we're working on this right now yes yeah yeah there's always there's always a background yeah that's a tough one yeah Yeah, it's tricky to it's tricky to navigate too because it's always you know who's who Who's what? You know, who did what exactly? Yeah, yeah and, with CRISPR. People yeah, like CRISPR like, Cas9. Who yeah. invented it? Yeah, yeah. Who is yeah, using yeah, yeah. it? This random Japanese Ooh. group back yeah, in the day versus yeah. uh, Dualda. I can never say her name. Very good. The Dauda? yogurt company. Dauda. 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 Yeah. yeah, yeah. Jennifer Dauda. Jennifer yeah. Dauda. So yeah. So uh, w- I mean, you. We were just talking about this. But we were thinking. Uh, I asked if there was any talk of this germline editing here at this. Uh, conference yet. Yes. Have you heard anything about this yet? Yeah, so it seems that there is only one paper yet in a very obscure journal, but I think it's a very important point. This is that Chinese group? Is that yes. Right? Yes. Yeah, so we were actually talking about this was going to happen, and then the paper came out. Right. So I think it shows that it's not safe yet using embryos. Yeah. But then again, I think that one very important thing in CRISPR-Cas9 is to choose the right sequence for your guide. So we've seen that if we have guides targeting a given exon and they're very close to each other, partly overlapping, uh-huh. they have completely different efficiencies. So the, the sequence of the guide is very, very important. Uh-huh. So if and you choose it poorly, then you'll have a lot of target defects, yeah. and therefore it's not safe for the clinic. And so the guide is how they guide in the, I'm just for the audience that might not the understand. PAM. Yeah, how they guide it in. Um, yeah. Yes, we're just saying this is still kind of being optimized, right? This technique. I mean, it's yes. not done. I mean, it's not. Yeah. And every, I mean, because I know in people's hands it works better than others. Yeah. And I don't, if that's just a reagent thing or if it's just not robust, you know, I, I don't really do it in the lab, so I'm not quite familiar. But yeah. So one thing I can say is that it depends a lot on the cell type. So for us in blood, 
we got much more efficiency in human blood stem cells, HSCs, versus in T-cells. Because T-cells, I think, they have better innate immunity mechanisms, so if you try to put DNA inside them, they'll recognize that as, a, as an invasion, as this, if it was a virus. Right, right. So they definitely have a lot of work to do into making these more efficient in T-cells. Oh. And HSCs, I think, we're closer to our goal. And so, so you want mainly HSCs to be uh, converted or to be, you know, this MHC manipulation? Do you want it more in the HSCs or in the T cells? I think in HSCs would be a more desirable goal, okay. just because they can give rise to all cell types in your body and you can expand them. Right. So it would be a more long-term cure. But there is already a clinical trial using T cells. So actually, for knocking out CCR5 mm-hmm. in T cells from patients and putting them back in. So now it's, uh, I think it's a shorter term solution than targeting HSCs instead. So I, I guess the idea would be to somebody who has an HIV infection to yes. ablate their immune system and then repopulate it with these, uh, you know, the ones that are resistant to HIV infection. Because, is that the, the because for idea? everybody, yeah, the, that's, yeah, that is the receptor to which. Uh, right, yeah, it's yeah, a main receptor used. Yeah. So these cells, if they don't express CCR5, they're basically immune to HIV invasion, at least to most strains of HIV. Yeah. Mm. And so that would be that you don't even need to ablate the immune system of the recipient if he has an HIV infection, because that's unfortunately kind of going on already. But, but if you can give them this, uh, so this there's no need HSC, for ablation. You could just repopulate with without ablating because ideally these new HSCs they would take over okay. the previous immune system and they will create the other T ones cells are going to die off anyway I mean, how long have we known yeah. this about HIV with that receptor a while sorry how long have we known this about HIV and that receptor is that that's a new that's a known thing CXCR that's a known interaction yeah, yeah. CCR5 so, there's also CXCR4 four. How, how could, yeah. have we, where have we come with that I mean we're talking in terms of the stem cell but there's no drug or there's no nothing that has been t- created to uh, kind of block that or block so that most, interaction so most drugs focus on the HIV cell right, cycle the, in terms of virus, like the replication right? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so the antiretroviral drugs they're very successful in the sense that they make HIV more of a chronic disease is manageable but it's still not perfect Perfect. And also, because HIV evolves so fast, you have to give a cocktail of three to four drugs at once mm. to kind of every time the virus tries to escape a certain right. mechanism we're trying right. to use, so it closes the other one. Exactly. So yeah. you're, are you a postdoc or a grad uh, I'm a graduate student grad, right now. So um, are you here primarily for the CRISPR talks or are you here for the blo- hematopoietic stem cell talks? Do you have a favorite stem cell uh, that you What are your interests to? here? Uh, well, I really like this meeting because we really uh, get to know about a lot of aspects of the stem cell field. So even this morning, I really love the talk that was mostly sort of like transplantation of oligodendrocyte progenitors, yep. so in the brain. But the concept is so interesting for me that you can really, you have these sick mice and you can cure them with cell transplantation. Right. So this kind of work, even though it's not what I exactly work on, it inspires me and it makes me believe that if we can really make cell therapies better, we can affect so many different diseases. But that, that's good. I mean, you want to... P- you should be able to come here and learn about things outside of what, what yes. you do. I mean, we have a favorite. Uh, our, our we li- live in the neural system, but mm-hmm. I was going mm-hmm. through posters and I found myself stopping at things that were not neural just because they were fascinating to read and fascinating yeah. to see. Um, this is your first ISSCR or no? Uh, this is my second one. My first one is in Boston, Boston. in 2013, probably for obvious reasons. So I had no poster, no talk. Yeah, you just walked. Just, but down it was the right street. down the street. <laughs> yeah, so that I, makes I it easy. Go. I had to go. That makes it easy. Do you have a, a poster or something here? Yes, my poster is 1076. It's on our work on CRISPR-Cas9 in human blood cells. Very, Excellent. Very cool. So Leo Ferreira, look yeah. out for him. Yeah, he's, thank, uh, yeah he's here, man. <laughs> he's, he's he is here. He's thank you so much. Yeah, he does. I love that yeah. bow tie. It's looking right, good, Thank man. you. <laughs> All right. Enjoy, Thanks man. Thank you. Bye. 
Okay, so we're now on a break here, uh, and we have uh, Antonio Del Sol, an associate professor in bioinformatics, uh, the Luxembourg Center for Systems Biomedicine. Antonio, welcome to the Stem Cell Podcast. How are you doing? Thanks. Very well. Thank you. So we're excited to have a bioinformaticist on here to tell us a little bit about what that means uh, and, and what you're looking at and what, how you're interested in stem cells with that, how you're using that with stem cells. Yeah, well, actually, uh, bioinformatics is a very growing field. And uh, I want to make the distinction between bioinformatics and computational biology, uh, saying that bioinformatics is more involved more data analysis, uh, storage, uh, and computational biology is more modeling. I mean, using that uh, data for modeling and uh, try to understand uh, cellular processes, in this case, uh, in the stem cell research. So uh, my lab in particular, uh, we do both things. I mean, we are able to process and uh, analyze data using statistical methods. But at the same time, we are very much interested in developing uh, models, computational models, in order to understand uh, a variety of processes in, in stem cell research. One of the, for example, topics we are very much interested in is the uh, identification of uh, stem cell uh, key genes which are able to differentiate these cells into specific cell fates. Uh, also, we are working on modeling gene regulatory networks and protein-protein interaction networks in order to understand uh, how specific pathways are important for cellular programming and reprogramming as well. So all these we do uh, um, at the level of, I mean, uh, in silico, computational level, but then we have a very close collaboration with experimental partners. Some of them I have met here in the in the conference. So we do the predictions and then they validate it in the in the in the lab. And at the same time we have like a like a feedback process. I mean, with them they also come back to us. We analyze the data. We make predictions. They validate. And I think this is the the way to go uh, nowadays because bioinformatics and computational biology are taking more space in different areas of biology and other fields, of course. But in stem cell, I would say that now there is a boom. Is uh, people are getting more uh, familiar with it and understanding more the uh, necessity. To How much is of your work uh, involves databases and keeping you know up on the databases and. You know, say somebody gets RNA-seq results and they want to know interactions between genes. So obviously there's some database that says, okay, this Nanog binds with this and this. How, how much of your job is to make sure that your databases are updated and uh, which ones do you pull, pull from? Are these all public, you know, NCBI or I'm not sure. Right. Well, in, in our particular case, uh, in our center, we have a bioinformatics core, which uh, is, apart from my group, my group is more computational biology, so we okay. do more modeling. But the bioinformatics core in our center is the one that uh, keep updated the databases, uh, mm -hmm. not only publicly available, I mean public databases, but also commercial as well. Okay. And, uh, of course, we have meetings, regular meetings, and then we say, okay, what our needs are. And, uh, yeah, I mean, they, they, they deal with all the storage, updating, and, and transfer of information as well. I see. I see. Yeah, I mean, 
I mean, in the age of big data, right? So I always say it's now the data is not the problem. Generation of data is not the problem, but it's how you interpret the results, which is That's really correct. the bottleneck. And so it's it's people like yourself and these groups that become so critical, which is why you say it's a growing growing field because the, you know, there's only so much. The only certain place biology can take you, then at some point you need help. I find myself, I've learned a lot in the past few years of working with people like yourself and mathematicians and people that see it differently. Sometimes I don't want, I don't want input on the biology. I want input on, you know, let's talk about other things like how we can analyze and what are, be- what, here is some of the data, what are better ways we can make sense of it. And, and those are the kind of collaborations that are really, really important. Sure. You know, and I'm, I'm finding it. I'm writing a paper with a mathematician right now, and I asked to send the draft, and she sent me the draft, and I'm looking at it, and I'm going, right. It's like <laughs> I don't really understand these things, like equations and all this stuff, but um, uh, it's very, very fascinating. Have you always been working with stem cells, or, or have you, no. is this a recent application? Yeah, no, actually, I started as um, a structural bioinformatician. I mean, predicting protein-protein interactions, docking, protein folding, and then I moved into systems biology. And lately, I mean, two, three years ago, I moved into, let's say, systems biology of stem cells. So now we are more, yeah, uh, at the level of cellular biology. I mean, and... But then, uh, uh, regarding what you mentioned about uh, data and information, I completely agree. I mean, it's, it's a lot of data out there, information, but I think it's time to make sense out of it. I mean, knowledge. So, uh, a lot of your, so you get to lab in the morning, and is it computers all around, or, <laughs> and are you writing algorithms? Yeah. Well, in my case, I have a group. Uh, uh, so, my my people i mean people in my lab they mainly some of them are more developers i mean they uh, develop programs and uh, new tools models others are more uh, people who apply these tools for particular problems mm-hmm. and uh, but yeah an everyday uh, <laughs> a regular day let's say is uh, precisely people coding all, coding all day and uh, what language well, actually, the interesting thing is that my lab is comprised of uh, different, you know, different backgrounds. Backgrounds. Uh, biologists, uh, computer scientists. And, uh, so computer scientists, they like Java and C++, so more, I would say, sophisticated languages. Whereas biologists are mainly using Python, Perl, mm. this kind of, uh, mm. you know, MATLAB sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we have like a kind of variety uh, in the lab. Yeah. Well, everyone in the audience should be nice to their bioinformaticists and computer scientists because uh, we're going to need their help at this point in time if we really want to push forward. So thank you for being the uh, first, the first bioinformaticist. Yeah, on the stem cell podcast, and uh, enjoy the rest of uh, the meeting here. Thank you very much. Uh, do no you s- actually before we end it? Do you see any presentations around here that are? Strictly bioinformatic? Uh, I haven't. I mean, I see some components in okay. some of the presentations, but of course, it's like a hybrid. I mean, more you know, some experimental uh, work, uh-huh. and then maybe some bioinformatics, but not like completely. Strictly, yeah. Strictly okay. Bioinformatic. I have attended other conferences which are more focused on that, right. but here so far, I have been a mix. Okay. I right. hope this will change with time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for coming on. Thank you, very, Thank much. you very much. Okay. So we're joined by Himanshu Sharma. He's from Stony Brook University. And are you a postdoc or I'm a student? graduate student, actually. Graduate student. Graduate so student. welcome PhD aboard. PhD, master's? 
Um, I'm in the MD-PhD MD program. MD-PhD program. Very uh, cool. So. Mud okay. fuds. That's what we used to call. Yeah, they, they're definitely the mud fuds. So uh, wh- what's your stem cell story? What brings you to the conference? So this is actually the first conference I've ever been to. And, uh, oh, wow. Outside of Stony Brook, this is the first poster I've ever presented. Okay. Um, and so in our lab, we study neural stem cells. Uh in a slightly different way than... Whose lab is this? A Holly Cognato's lab. Okay. And it's slightly different from the way that most of the people here study stem cells in that we study them in relationship to the extracellular matrix, which is kind of the structure and the scaffold right. that holds all our, our cells and tissues together. Um, and we, in, in that context, we look at not only the structure, but we it's as it's emerging the signals uh, that the extracellular matrix sends to these stem cells right. and allows them to function. Nice. The ECM, so important, man. Right. Signals, matrices. So um, w- how far into the program are you? What year? How long have you been in the lab looking at stem cells? So the way our program works, it's two years of med school, then all of our graduate school, and then two years of right. med school again. So I'm, I've done the first two years of med school, and I'm in my second year of graduate school right now. Um, and I'm officially a candidate as of uh, nice. six months ago or so. so. Yeah. Congrats. And uh, so is your PI here with you? or No, I'm the only person from my lab. Representing. Um, yep. Wow, you're actually, here all alone on your first. I know. <laughs> it's, it's exciting. I actually I was able to come here because I oh, won a look at that. travel grant. He's holding up a, uh, a, a $1,000 travel It's grant. like one of those big yeah, like, uh, yeah, lottery like, checks, except yeah, shrunken yeah. down to about the size of... From Biotechnic, which is R&D, and Tokers and them. That's great. Congrats. Yeah. That's really awesome. <laughs> I like that. That's really cool. I've, I've always wanted to see one in real person, like real life, you know, when they hold the big checks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There you like go. Pseudo novelty <laughs> check. That's awesome. That's great. So, um, anyhow, any... Uh, talks that you've seen so far that sort of blew your mind yeah actually a lot of the i mean honestly a lot of the talks here have been kind of mind-blowing um, one thing our lab studies in particular uh so we're very new to the stem cell field we've studied uh glial cells um mm-hmm. so cells in the brain that are sort of support cells uh such as oligodendrocytes which sure. um, are the myelinating cells of the brain so there was a talk earlier today uh where they took al- human oligodendrocytes and they put them into the brain's of mice um, that had, you know, various diseases, and they found that the human oligodendrocytes could outcompete and overpopulate the brains and fix all sorts of disorders. And furthermore, if you took induced pluripotent oligod- uh, stem cells that turn into oligodendrocytes from the patient from schizophrenic patients, for example, right, right, that when you put those in the mice, the mice also developed schizophrenic symptoms, Whoa. anxiety, and social avoidance. So. Do you know no. whose lab that was? Is that Steve Goldman? That, I believe, was Steve Sounds Goldman. about right. Sounds like Steve Goldman. Sounds like Steve um, Goldman. So, yeah. yeah, it was really interesting to see that some of these diseases that people traditionally thought were based on neurons are actually, you know, Could be near and dear to my heart cell. than yeah. I expected. Yeah, the glia. You yeah, know, we've, we've been re- relied on people such as yourself to report back to us because we've been sitting here. So I know. Long. We've only been able to check out we, a few talks. We went in there. It was refreshing. We heard some talks in the last little neural session there. We heard... I call it a buddy, uh, Yechiel Elkabetz. Um, there was a there was a really cool. Um, I was telling. Did you see the one about the single cells being yes. able to isolate RNA from, from fixed the Allen cells? brain? Yeah. Uh, Prisker. Yeah. Prisker. Yeah. Prisker. Prisker. That's Prisker. by uh, Frisker. 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 Frisker technique. Uh, this is by Boaz Levi from uh, the Allen brain, 
And that was such a really cool technique because you've, we've always able to label cells. You, you know, you have yeah. antibodies, but you can't then isolate them and do transcriptomic analyses. And this seems like a method they've done down to the single cell, which is real cool. Uh, how to do that? So uh, this is this is you know why these things are cool. So we learned those couple things while we were there. Yeah, and as an MD PhD, uh, that particular talk was super exciting for me because you know what he got at was the translational aspect of it. You know, as you might have caught in the beginning, the neural niche of the human and the rat are very different, and so they have these outer in the human. There's this region where the stem cells are born, or where the outer radio the glia, outer yes. the outer subventricular zone that isn't present in mice and he used Frisker to sort of look at those cells and separate them sort of uh, on the transcriptional level from the ventricular zone cells that you know the rest of us have been studying in rodents for all this time so yeah it's very we, we love the Allen Brain Institute <laughs> I, know. I know Chris Chris has spent a lot of time on that thing I've been up late night on that site it's been known to have happened so <laughs> yeah uh, well listen congratulations on your travel grant thank you and uh, I hope you enjoy the rest of the meeting and uh, I hope you get to hear more talks than Yosef and I. And if you find something exciting, make sure you come back and let us know. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Appreciate Thank it. Thank you. Okay. So uh, we're joined here by Cashel Jankwish. Did I say it right? Jankwish. Jankwish. Uh, she's from the NIH as, and the director of... Why don't you tell us what you do? Um, I'm the program director for the NHLBI um, Next Gen Consortium. So with acronyms, we always ask people to, not everybody okay. knows what NHLBI is. So That's once the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute. There you go. There we go. All right. So uh, what brings you to ISSCR this year? Well, um, this is my second year attending, and the consortium uh, that I work with, the Next Gen Consortium, is uh, put together to use IPSCs, induced pluripotent okay. stem cells, for um, modeling disease in a dish. Okay. So um, I was happy to see this year there are a lot more disease modeling sessions mm-hmm. here, and it's been very exciting. Um, we are just starting to get findings from our studies. There are nine different studies in this consortium using these cells to annotate um, genomics, functional annotation for known genetic variants. So that's very exciting findings, but also um, the cells that were generated through this program, which are 1,500 um, cells, lines from 1,500 participants, um, are being made available to the scientific community. Now, is it mainly based on uh, making cardiomyocytes? For Are, are these people with genetic causes of myocardial infarction or what, yeah, it, what um, what's what's the background here is it so lungs heart no, um, we have uh, a pulmonary arterial hypertension patient okay. so that's as close as we've gotten to the lung <laughs> um, right. and they're doing endothelial okay, differentiation cool. and um, we are differentiating to cardiomyocytes to look at left ventricular hypertrophy mm-hmm. and some um, electrocardiogram uh, cardiogram uh, disorders like long QT. Long QT. Like you remember that, that yeah. from neuroscience? I do. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. What else are we have we got going on? We've got um, sickle cell disease. Okay. And uh, metabo- metabolic disorders, diabetes. Um, so those are. So there's a there's a there's a bad term, the potpourri of disease. That sounds terrible, but the point <laughs> being, there's a lot being covered. Um, and so you have sitting next to you, fortunately we have two microphones, but we have 
Um, Tennille Ludwig from uh, Y-Cell here. Um, Tennille, who literally put the T in teaser. Uh, so just Excellent. in case we didn't know Excellent. that here. Uh, so... Um, that's and quite that's the MTs or the fame. media, yeah. yeah. So uh, I, I'm looking here at this uh, um, uh, announcement, this release. So, Tanil, tell us a little bit about how, how you're going to work together, YSL and uh, at the NIH here. So we're thrilled. We um, had the opportunity at YSL to work with this incredible consortium of, of investigators. It's really a world-class collection of scientific researchers from a number of different um, institutes, including... Uh, Boston University, Harvard, Scripps Institute, Johns Hopkins, um, Medical College of Wisconsin, uh, two groups out of Stanford, University of Pennsylvania, and other institutes. I hope I didn't miss any. UC San Diego. Um, some incredible researchers. And the investment that's been made in this collection of cells, it's $80 million. Wow. Um, Whoa. And, but in order to really... In order to really get the best that you can out of that investment, the cells need to be secured somewhere and distributed widely to the scientific community so that they can be used by groups not only nationally but globally to investigate these diseases and really make an improvement in human health. So we're working with these groups to get these lines into the Y-cell stem cell bank to make the uh, tremendous amount of characterization data that's going to be available with them easily browsable by researchers who are looking to identify a cell line of interest and then distribute the cells globally to make them available to the research community. See, that's so important. I mean, it's an, it sounds obvious, but um, people just – it's a tool – it's a tremendous tool, and people want the tool. Uh, they might not be able to create, you know, these lines themselves, but they definitely have questions that they would like to ask, you know, have answered. So it's incredibly important to have an accessible place to go and say where, you know, I'm interested in this. Is there something I can use? So this sounds like something that uh, is exactly that, that someone can go, right, find the line that they might be interested in or disease, get some data on it, which is always not the case, uh, and be able to use uh, them to ask a question and to hopefully interrogate disease. So not only are there disease lines, but there are control lines that will be whole genome sequence that will be available through here, too. Oh, that's so, great. That's yeah. even better. And yeah. they're ethnically, gender, and age diverse. Okay. Excellent. So Very quite, important. Quite a collection. So you, you have uh, a, a wide spectrum yes. to compare to. So... Uh, I have a question for you, Tanil. So with the um, making these lines, is it frustrating when the technology moves on from, you know, a single lentiviral vector to, to now Sendai or whatever people are using to reprogram iPS cells? Do you have to always keep up with the, the latest technology or are you grandfather claused into the first method that you used to make the lines? You can go back and read derive a line if you still have access to the fibroblast patient material to, okay. to re-derive. So you can. And the technology, you're right, is moving really quickly right now. At Y-Cell, we don't do a lot of the derivation ourselves. So it, in a little bit, you're, you're talking to the wrong girl. Um, okay. We work with investigators. The investigators that I mentioned previously, they're the ones who are primarily doing the derivations. Uh, and so we take already derived material in and we do the distribution of it. So we're just replicating oh, so you, you the material that's in-house. We bank uh, and distribute. And do you uh, wake up or do you create the, you know, expand a bunch of tubes? We do it all. 
Okay. So we will, um, our deposit model right now, and we work with the NHLBI, they're using this deposit model, but we offer it to other investigators who may also be interested in, in depositing their little, you know, one or two. You don't have to have be a consortium with 1,500 with lines, lines to yeah. work with us. So yeah. if you've derived cell lines in your laboratory that would be of interest to the scientific community, contact us. Um, and we have a deposit model where we take 12 vials. Um, in and we will put those vials on our website and work to have them distributed. And as those vials sell through, we will retain some of them to generate new banks. And so we continue oh, to cool. have the cell. We'll rebank the cell line nice. when the demand requires it, and we will continue to do that. That's whycell.org? W-I-C-E-L-L dot org. Okay, and so it, can I ask, is there some sort of standard criteria uh, that... I mean, if I have lines and mm-hmm. I, I, I made these awesome lines, you got to <laughs> bank them for me. Do you, there's, is there some sort of standard that Ycell will uh, or tests or assays that you do to meet a criteria? Because I would imagine you don't uh, want micro coming into dirty your cells if they happen yeah. to be dirty. So I must, I mean, there's sterility and all these things that standardize it because investigators want to know when they're going to get cells that they're a clean and have been run through the uh, run through <laughs> the ringer. So we the the incoming criteria is pretty flexible because there are a lot of lines out there that. That we'll talk with an investigator about what types of work they have done on their lines. And as we present the lines on the website, we will include any of the data that the investigator has already derived or any publication information that they have. Once we receive the lines you write, sometimes they're fabulous and sometimes they may need a little help uh, to ensure that the receiving laboratory is going to be safe. Right. Before we ship out any cell lines, we always check STR to assure that what we're sending is what, is what we believe. STR? STR, short tandem repeat, it's an identity test. Okay. And so it Everyone can, needs an identity test it, every once in a while. It confirms that the cell line really is what, what we believe it is. we're sending. Yep. We do karyotype by G-band to assure that the karyotype is as we expect. So we don't always expect a cell line to be normal. We might be shipping a Down syndrome line, which you would expect to be, be trisomy 21. Sure. Uh, we check sterility and we check mycoplasma. So all of that testing is done before any materials ever leave Excellent. our facility. Excellent. See, that's that makes and me morphology, feel good. morphology, obviously, if they that come in looking like we look, we we look at. Um, my mind has just lost me a little that's bit okay. of jet Flatness. lag. And so, uh, <laughs> we do post-thaw recovery, so okay. we look at morphology uh-huh. and we make sure that what comes out of the vial is sufficient to recover a robust culture in the receiving laboratory. So it's very cool. So this sounds like a very natural uh, collaboration. You have this, I'm looking, it's called the um, this Next, Next Gen Consortium. Uh, is that correct? That was which funded the, the generation of these lines. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Uh, and it just seems like a natural thing. Once we have all these lines, you want to be able to use them. So it sounds like a very... Uh, exciting collaboration. So, um, is there anything else you want to talk about with this? If, 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 is there anything else you want to say? I mean, tell everyone's out there listening. What do we want them to do? Want so the the lines. It's a very diverse collection of lines that are that will be coming in from the next gen consortium, and they'll be coming in um, over a period of time over the next uh, six months to a year. Okay. So if individuals are interested in seeing the new lines that are available, they can sign up to receive notifications when particular cell lines of interest come up, and that's ycell.org hash backslash subscribe. So if you go to ycell.org, you can get on a list to be notified uh, when the cell lines become available. There you go. Well, thank you so much for your time. Very nice talking with you both. Thank and you. join the rest yeah, of the conference. Thanks for coming by. 
Okay, so Chris, we're, uh, we have a treat right now. We have a George Kobinia from the Austria Society for Regenerative Medicine. And I asked him, uh, you know, when he came over to the booth, I, g- I gave him a T-shirt for his son. And I said, uh, he asked, what do we do here? I said, tell us your stem cell story. And he, uh, he's, he looked like he had one for us. And so I said, <laughs> so I said what, what, do you have a s- story to tell? And he said, I've actually, I'm probably one of the few people here who has ever had a stem cell treatment done wow and he said he's had two so wow. uh i figured wow, we had george. to have him on so george welcome aboard hi thanks so tell us a little me. bit about that tell us about yourself well you know basically i'm a cardiothoracic surgeon i was a cardiothoracic surgeon and a lot of cardiac surgeons just finish their job after 30 years or so because it's so stressful and i've spent so many thousand nights in the I see you, and I finished, and shortly afterwards, I had a heart attack, and I had open heart surgery for 10 hours, and I tell you, there's a lot of difference. So you were on the other side then? Yes. (laughs) 10 hours worth. Yes. Wow. That was something, and I tell you, it was something to do 6,000 open heart cases as a surgeon, and on the other side, undergo a, a... single procedure yourself it's a lot of difference (laughs) but i prefer doing another six thousand cases. (laughs) and afterwards i had still some troubles and friends suggested i should uh, go into the field of stem cell surgery i think i know a couple of heart surgeons who who have done this who because there's a big connection from cardiac surgery to stem cells the one is, I have to tell you, uh, I owe this to my mother. I have operated on my mother, on her Whoa. heart. I did really? her open heart case. I did the cabbage on her. And it worked fine for eight or ten years. And then she had recurrence. And, uh, but there were no vessels to, to bypass, to do anything. Mm. And every day she said, my son, you operate on so many people. Why don't you reoperate on me? And I said, I can't. There's no vessels to do. And the solution might have been stem cell treatment. Mm. That was the only way. And that aroused my interest in stem cells. And, well, my mother, she passed away, which was at a proper age. And, uh, but I, was, I got interested in the field of stem cells. When I retired, I uh, started to look farther into stem cell treatment. And then something happened to me, what happens to a lot of heart surgeons. I had uh, heart disease myself (laughs) after 30 years of working in the field. You've gone through a lot of stress and uh, painful situations, people dying and Reoperations, bleeding, all this stuff for many, many years. And afterwards, I, there was still some trouble, arrhythmia, some pain. And so I asked friends to do stem cells on me, and I underwent stem cells. So, so to tell us about what the procedure actually was. Yes. Well, the, what we do generally is uh, we take bone marrow from the iliac crest. Okay, right uh, in the hip. Yeah. Yes, in the hip. Yes, and sometimes I still have some pain here. <laughs> That's uh-huh. the only. Yeah, thing. they put a big needle in there, right? Yes, they put a big needle. They break the bone and uh, Whoa. suck out the bone marrow. Okay, 
and from there it goes to a machine that uh, separates the mononuclear cells. And the interesting thing is if you inject it IV, uh, there's a phenomenon that's called homing. And um, it's like if you take a tablet of aspirin, the tablet knows where to go. If you have headache, mm. it goes right to your head and cures mm -hmm. your headache. So the stem cells, if they go into your venous system and your heart is broke, they know where to go and they go there because they're attracted uh, by cytokines and um, so they go where they should. And that's what you had was an IV treatment? Yes. Okay, so it wasn't injected directly into the heart? No, no, not no. at that time. Okay. And so the, the, the idea is that they go there and do what? They recreate muscle, they pace, what do, what do they do? Is that known, really? Or? No, no. Okay. I think there's three different types of mechanisms. The one mechanism is a purely cellular that some people believe that uh, the stem cells go into the heart and they change into heart muscle. Plus the vascular endothelial growth factor that may be very important that is in the plasmatic portion. Right. Uh, in the plasma of the bone marrow, and I think that's a very valuable substance. And then there's something else that has been, I think it's a nice story, and it may be, become more important in the future. Uh, there was an Austrian scientist after World War II, a, a professor of histology, and he found out that we have more white blood cells in the arterial system than we have in the venous system. Okay. So they go somewhere in the tissue. And if they do so, nature is parsimonious. They have to have a task that has to be on purpose. And he thought that they may release some substances that are beneficial to the body. And the Austrian group um, that around um, my friend Anke Smith, they produce such, a, or they are in the process of producing such a product uh, that uh, contains secretomes. He calls it secretomes. Sure. I don't know if you're aware of that. And that's when mononuclear cells undergo apoptosis. They release substances, and they are called um, secretomes. And they contain nitrous oxygen, synthetase, and uh, vasodilating substances, immunomodulating substances. And they seem to be very beneficial. Well, l let me ask you a question. Uh, when did you have this procedure done? That was three years ago. And w was it considered an experimental procedure? Yes. And so this is somewhat of a trial. Yes, yes. And uh, so you're quite aware as a physician of the placebo effect. Do you feel better? And if so... I have no more or very rarely arrhythmias. I have no more chest pain. Okay. I work out in my fitness club. Uh, I do 150 watts on the running machine. I do three, four workouts a week. And do you, you have... Um, they're able to look at your heart? Now, I'm curious to see if they notice uh, structural or physiological differences in that. In an unbiased manner. You, you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, from, from what it was like before. 
And now, I mean, do they, can they see something in the heart, whether it's the way it's beating the structure or something like that? Well, the ejection fraction yeah. obviously improved. Um, when you say injection fraction, you eject, mean the ejection amount of fraction, blood the, coming out? After? How much blood is uh, ejected from the heart oh, during I each see. heartbeat? That improved. Yes. Okay. And it's like 36% now, which is not that of a top athlete, but it's good for me, for yeah. my age. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, what what can you say to uh, people out there? You know, this, this is a controversial uh, topic. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm yes, we're in the United yeah, States. Well. It's a controversial topic here, and I know in, in ISSCR and, and these societies have taken stances on these therapies, and a lot, some are experimental, uh, some are like we hear about them popping up a lot. Yeah, and we uh, have patients stem cell tourism in y- yeah, places uh, where it's not even a trial; it's just a doctor with a procedure. And and so we've always said, I've at least I, I want to speak for Yosef, but as a patient and in my body, I should have a right to do something that. I, if I wanted to do, I could. On the other side, you have to make sure that what's being given to you is properly explained, safe, and you know, being being sold to you in a way that's not just for money. And so, I think there's a difference. So, in your case, uh, well, you're you're I mean, a physician, you're a smart man who's been doing this the, for a while. Most of the so. patient, I think, that do that, that undergo such a procedure, have studied the pros and cons very extensively. They're not the, the, the patients that go to the doctor and say, Doc, I have a flu and right, I want yeah, a treatment. Yeah. They have studied the Internet. They have talked to doctors if they know your name. They talk to other patients. Internet. Internet is a great source. I mean, any, any center that has a problem, it'll be in the Internet and you'll find that immediately. So there's no way to hide away your failures. Uh, I mean... People can get any information about those centers very extensively. Back, back to the surgery. Uh, where are they injected into? Just into the into your into your vein. Into your vein. vein. You yes. had like a intravenous, like the bag, and yes. uh, okay, and an infusion. And so, how long afterwards did you start to notice any sort of a difference? Well, there's a, a the one thing. What is called the paracrine effect that comes from uh, the plasma mm. that goes very fast because that's the next two or three days you feel a lot better, you feel much more active. Uh, there's a lot of hormones that go into your body, sure. Mm. But then the other thing that starts two or three months later that may be the cellular compound that may be the improvement with some cellular mechanisms but certainly it's difficult to do that because you can do it in rats you can study rat hearts but you can't do those studies in the human heart and dissect out if there are any stem cells in the heart now mm. two months after right. the transplant right. but uh, is that what's been found in the animal studies that these IV uh, infusions yes. do go to the heart yes and well uh, there's studies that show it's controversial. The studies that show that uh, the stem cells go into the heart and become heart muscle cells. Uh, there are studies from Viennese group that show that uh, those cells die and it's only the secretomes that work. And did you experience any side effects? Except for the <laughs> puncture site in the, in the hip. Oh, That's the only right. thing. So <laughs> you, okay. <laughs> that wow. reminds me of... 
of the surgery uh, almost every day. But now, do you feel like a new man? Like uh, other things besides the heart, like the the brain function or anything else? Like just more energy. You're, more you're the only person I've talked to who's had like this sort of a treatment. So, um, I mean, I feel good, and I I consider having uh, another. Or if my heart function goes down. Uh-huh. I'll find somebody to inject uh, stem cells into my heart via mm. uh, the coronaries. I'll do that, definitely. It's the one way to go. Consider that drugs improve your ejection fraction 3 to 4% max after a treatment of 2 or 3 years mm-hmm. for, uh, for cardiomyopathy. And uh, there's better results with stem cells. So that's a huge field. And the if it was only this field, cardiomyopathy is called the disease of the 21st century. Many people will suffer from that. So that, that'll be a very important thing. And I think the, the, the great thing here is you meet basic scientists and clinicians. And I think we just need to talk much more to each other and not just... I agree. We just need to talk. I agree. And just to be clear, you had monocytes uh, extracted and expanded. No, no. That was an on-site. It's uh, called point-of-care method. Which is? Which is you inject the, the, the mononuclear fraction after it has been separated by centrifugation. Okay. And so they, they basically extracted these stem cells. Uh, do you know how many million? Are we talking 100,000 cells, 10 million cells? Uh, well, the, what, what we count or what is counted is the CD34 cells. Sure, I see. And that's about a million per milliliter. So okay. if you have 20 milliliters, you get like 20 million CD34 cells. And they all go back in? They go all back in, yes. Okay, all right. Wow. And, and wow. basically it's... You have a constant flow rate from your bone marrow to the blood at all times, but it's not sufficient. And what this type of surgery does, it multiplies the rate of going stem cells from the, from bone, the marrow bone marrow to uh, the the blood by to, hundred to the heart. Uh, yeah. more. So yeah. there you have it. There you uh, go. The first stem cell treatment. On the podcast yeah, that we've had, and it seems like the only side effect is some pain in the hip. Yes, <laughs> that's okay. the only side of it. A well, lot of people would take that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and this is, I hope, where the field goes, right? This is why we're doing this. But as uh, I said, I think uh, there's a lot of discussion needed, the cooperation needed. Between the science and the, the science. Between the basic yeah. science yeah. and the clinicians. And the clinicians, sure. sure. So that's one of the I, things. I mean, I see that the basic scientists have no idea of where they go, what they will treat. They don't know the diseases they, they're right. planning to treat. Right. They've never seen a patient. So do you think that the ISSCR at this meeting does a, 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 some sort of a good job or a sufficient yes. job in, in promoting that definitely, collaboration? Definitely. Yeah. Good. That's the, that's the way to go. That's the place to go. Good. Well, Great. good. Well, thank well, you so much. Yeah, for time. Okay. It's really, really nice talking with you. Appreciate, Appreciate it. it. Bye-bye, guys. Okay, so we're joined here by Jan Lothval from the University of Gothenburg here in Sweden. I was just telling him, you'll never catch me in Sweden. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, tell us, uh, what, 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 what's your stem cell story? Why did you come to ISSCR this year? Actually, this is the first time I joined this meeting, and, and I'm just uh, excited to see the huge progress that is happening. I'm working in the field of uh, extracellular vesicles, okay, exosomes and other extracellular vesicles, and they're really having, beginning to have 
uh, influence on the stem cell field as well. They may be actually mediating some of the effects of stem sure. cells in in biology. So so that's one of the reasons. I'm also interested in in what different types of cells in disease can do to mesenchymal stem cells and other types of stem cells. So uh-huh. how they can influence the uh, in the context in general. of what. In the context, for example, of chronic inflammation in the lung, I'm actually an allergist. I'm, okay. a, I'm a clinician background with a lot of interest in basic research, but I decided to uh, uh, dig into the uh, mechanisms of disease. And, right. uh, so and that's where stem cells and, and yeah, inflammation right. and allergy and things like that meet, and I just felt I had to attend this meeting cool. and, and, and join, the, you know join the, the community. The difference between an exosome and a secretome? Yeah, secretome. I don't secretome. know. Secretome. Yeah. Oh, uh, exosomes or, uh, is, is one word for a complicated mixture of, of extracellular vesicles that are released by all cells, including mesenchymal stem cells. Okay. And we're actually looking into the, the content and the cargo of those exosomes released by mesenchymal stem cells. So the secretome contains a lot of vesicles and probably protein complexes and, of course, soluble uh, bioactive molecules as well uh, from all kinds of tissues and cells. Yep. So, so it's part of the secretome. Okay. Exosomes are part of the secretome. I see. But it's outside of the cells, absolutely. Sure. And these are, are very biologically active. And they're encapsulated by lipids? Does this they have, bu- exactly. budding off from the, the lipid bilator? They, they, they're produced by uh, different mechanisms from recipient cells, including um, uh, budding from the surface as well okay. as uh, processes intracellularly where they are, 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 are captured in, in multivesicular bodies and then released in bulk uh, altogether okay. to, the, to the environment. Yeah, because so. I'm only familiar with like the kiss and touch, the clapping. Yeah, like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, yeah. Kiss of, and touch, that's yeah, great. Stuff coming into the cell, I'm not so familiar yeah, with the yeah. stuff going so, out. So, I mean, these, these things are released and then they're actually taken up by other cells. So. Okay, all right. You There's know, one other reason I'm here and, and I'm also the president of the International Society for Extracellular Vesicles. Mm. Uh, which is really an explosively growing field. When we're probably in the phase that uh, ISSCR was mm. approximately six or eight years ago, and I've been in touch with Nancy Witte, your managing director, and, and so I was excited to have the opportunity to see how you guys have developed the community yeah. and the society and the meeting to uh, to uh, not try to emulate, but by being inspired no, to by understand. you guys. Yeah, no, for yeah. sure. I mean, I know that we, we all know stem cells in particular. You know, I always like to relate them back to humans. We like to be comfortable in our environment. The same thing goes with stem cells. There's an environment there that keeps them in a certain place. Yeah. And the extracellular, the secretory cells, all the growth fat, all those environments keep them happy and keep them maintained. So those, uh, you know, all of these things, secreted factors, these things are really important in, in, in biology. Actually, um we, we do have a poster tomorrow to suggest that we can change the, the migrate, migration of mesenchymal stem cells depending on their uh, inflammatory my, um, environment by exosomes, actually, yep. from inflammatory cells. So it's a very, very exciting uh, field, and it brings together all kinds of diseases, including cancer and inflammation and, and so, so on. What are the markers for mesenchymal stem cells? I, 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 for I'm mesenchymal just, stem cells? Yeah, yeah. I know less than you probably. Oh, really? It's, uh, <laughs> I, 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 you know, I'm not, I'm not a stem cell researcher at this stage, but, and, and um, we get them, we, we order them, we don't produce them oh, ourselves, okay. so, right. so we are novices uh, in, that, in that perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, 
if you if you'd asked what the, what the marker is for an exosome, I would still have been confused yeah. because uh, yeah. it's very difficult to to actually determine exactly uh, how these different uh, sub these different components in the secretome actually distinguish from each other. Mm. Cool. So you said there's this, a society. Is there a website or something people can go to? to yeah, this is the International Society for Extracellular Vesicles, ISEV. ISEV. Not to be mixed up by something evil in the Middle East. ISEV.org.org. Yes. Okay, cool. And we actually have a, we have a um, scientific journal as well that is open access that people can access. And where's well. the next meeting at? We're having the next meeting in, uh, in Rotterdam in the Netherlands in April. Actually, May next year, early May next year. Cool. We were just uh, recently in, in Bethesda in Washington, yeah, D.C. Nice. Uh, had 800 people attending. So nice. Excellent. Similar to what ISSCR had uh, about eight years ago yeah. or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty, yeah. pretty interesting. Yeah. Cool. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for thank joining so the show. Thank you so much for uh, having me. Enjoy the rest of the show conference. Okay, so we're here with uh, Dr. Mark Powers, uh, Senior Director of Research and Development at uh, Life Sciences. Thermo Fisher, our uh, partner in crime with the yep. Stem Cell Podcast. Yep. Uh, Mark, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So how's your, uh, how's your ISSCR meeting going so far? Uh, great as always. Always, uh, always a good time. Always a lot of new and interesting things. It's it's uh, it's nice to see how things have evolved. Um, yeah, it definitely has. How long for sure. have you been coming to the meeting? It's been. This is my fourth meeting, okay. so I'm a relative newcomer in the grand scheme of things. Um, but you know, even in that time, you see a lot of manifestation of the, the promise of stem cells. A lot more in disease modeling now than yes, there is. meaningful disease modeling than we've seen in, in recent years. So and they let you out the booth from over there? Yeah, oh, I'm, <laughs> I, am, uh, I am not uh, assigned to any booth duty, so okay, I'm here so to you're hear talks. That's great. And, uh, that's oh, that's awesome. Yeah. We're, Joseph and I were ju just saying that when we're doing this, it's hard to get out and read the science. Yeah, so we're having sure. people come up to the table and like, oh, there was this talk and whatever. So. Well, you need a mobile uh, unit. You guys can walk around. And <laughs> we need to clone ourselves. Someone here should be able to help us with that. So tell us your stem cell story, Mark. Tell us what you, know, what you do and you know, how yeah, you got yeah, into yeah. the business. So I lead uh, the R&D team uh, at, at Thermo Fisher. It's a cell biology business. So we cover a lot of different things. We cover stem cells. We cover uh, classical cell culture media. We cover protein expression. Uh, we cover transfection. So there's a lot going on in the business. Lipofectamine 3000. Oh, yeah. yeah <laughs> we always yeah, say it's like, a, it's like a staple. What a great product. Yeah. So, uh, and we, Messenger Max is out there now What's for delivering that? mRNA. That? Oh, okay, so that's, nice. Uh, Are they synthetic RNAs? Uh, that well, it can be whatever you want. Okay. You know? So we're, we're just providing the tool to get it in the cells it in and there, you can I provide see. the whatever, content. Yeah, whatever you got to do, we'll get it in. But you know a lot of so, but stem cells is is a part of that, and and that's where I've been in this role now about four years. Like well, I guess about as long as I've been coming to ISSCR. Mm -hmm. And uh, my background's in tissue engineering, um, and so was relatively new to the game in stem cells. But have really been excited about where our team has gone. We've got a lot of talented people, some of whom you've spoken with. Yep. Um, and uh, it's just been a lot of uh, a lot of cool stuff we're working on, and I'm uh, I'm just happy to be around and help steer the ship a bit. So, does a meeting like this help you develop further, like future products? What's hot? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a couple of things. One is it helps to kind of crystallize our thinking around where the field's going, where there are opportunities, what types of things are in play. Um, you know, reconnect with colleagues. There's usually yes. a core set of folks who I see once a year at ISSCR every year. 
Um, you know, always meet up with some old colleagues as well who I haven't seen in a while who happen to be around this year. So, uh, so yeah, it's, uh, you know, really just a great opportunity to connect, hear what's going on with the science, and just really uh, stay plugged in on, on multiple levels. Yeah, I mean, there's so many, so many different facets to meetings, and I feel like everybody gets... You get a little bit out of every fat. You know, you get a little bit of science. You learn about what's new, even if it's not to detail, just global trends. You know, where is it going? But there's always the get all your people together in one place. That's really hard to replace. You know, you want to interact with people. You want to meet the people that you've come across. Scientists, there's collaborations that are born. In industry, we get to find out what we can buy, what toys there are. You guys get to. So it's it's, it's really a necessity to come, I think. I wish I could send all my kids from the yeah, lab but unfortunately it's expensive but yeah, you know especially it's a, in sweden yeah especially in sweden exactly but, but uh yeah i mean for me this is probably one of the few meetings where i enjoy spending time in the exhibit hall where it's i will miss a talk uh that i'm interested in seeing for the sake of connecting with people who i know are going to be at the exhibit hall or having a chance to have some quiet time with folks to chat so so yeah it's great on all fronts but but really you know you can see the science anywhere but it's the I'm connections sure. with the people yeah. Who yeah, are involved that, that kind of really helps out drive. the element, so, you know, yeah, getting I'm out the lab. It. You have no choice but to talk to each That's other. That's right, absolutely. It's like a lot of times <laughs> I'll be in lab and, like, you know, I've got headphones in, I'm listening to a podcast, I'm doing my thing. Here, you know, even if it's with somebody in the lab, right. you're, you're, yeah. you're, you're interacting because you're not at work, you're in a common <laughs> environment where, you know, uh, well, because you're doing, yeah, you're there. Yeah. But here, it's uh, it's fun and it's uh, like supposed to be informative, and I yeah. think like that. So, um, is there, Mark? Is there a place where, if I'm a stem cell scientist and I want to find out about the new stuff you guys are talking about here at ICCR, just stem cell specific products in general, is there a stem cell place they can go? Or um, you know, I should probably know the answer to that question. Yeah. <laughs> I usually I go when I'm trying to find you know what the latest is. In terms, I just go to our our homepage um, and then uh, yeah. Nowadays that's good enough. Then you can yeah. search from there and find. So I'll probably get in trouble for not knowing no, no, our actual fine. website. I, I know that they can go to stemcellpodcast.com and we have a banner there and that'll take them there to find go. out some stuff. So uh, I know defend. I know definitely there and the website is searchable for sure. Um, yeah, Thermo was an early adopter. Besides, second only to ISSCR in terms of getting us off the, you know, yep. getting the show off. Um, yeah, I respect them running. for that a lot because um, they are. Tradi- I've, I've I've known this about Thermo. They are willing to go with something that's mo- like this is a modern thing. This is a new wave trend. Like podcasts will right. become the future of media and advertising and people wreck the you know they immediately recognized that and said this is a big industry and it's fun so we we uh, appreciate that getting in early when this was just an idea but has turned into something yeah and it, well i know the folks who have done it have enjoyed it and have enjoyed being able to talk about their things yeah, they've been great guests yeah i mean and they're genuinely enthusiastic and excited about what they're doing so. yeah uh, yeah we always wondered how it would work having someone from you know industry kind of sales but it's science right it's yeah, science it's based on science about what they love doing yeah. exactly uh, yeah exactly we're, we're not talking about like kids toys or anything we're talking about <laughs> <laughs> we're not sponsored by uh, <laughs> toys or us Nabisco or, or something yeah like yeah so uh so mark thanks so much for coming by and talking to us a bit yeah and it's been uh great. it's been great and uh and yeah check out uh we've got some new things here that uh that I think we're pretty excited about in terms of cell culture uh, and in terms of differentiation for, for the cells. So encourage everyone to go take a look at what we've got. We've got some uh, extended uh, 
culture media uh, based on Essential 8, and we've got some definitive endoderm induction. Yeah, uh, Alex Haney, uh, he, he came oh, yeah, on. He and talked about DE? Yeah, right. he talked about uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. some of the uh, diff differentiation products I think yeah. we talked about a bit. Yep. We were talking about just standardizing the process for people, just making it easier, yeah. add one thing, and get That's there. That's what we're all about. Simplify workflows and uh, and standardizing them. So right. good. Right. Okay, thank, thank you very right. much. Hey, Enjoy thanks, the rest guys. of the meeting. Yeah, thank you, you too. Okay, so ooh, this guest that's coming on right now, Claire Parrish, is a professor over at the Flory Institute of Neuroscience and Mental Health in Melbourne, Australia. And I've uh, I'm actually excited she's on. I've read quite a few of her papers, uh, being that she's in the dopamine field. And um, one of her, I guess a postdoc came over. He's a fan of the show. He listens to the show. And he told me he was in her lab. I was like, oh, you should have her come over and give a talk. Nice. So she's here right now. Uh, welcome aboard. Yeah, welcome. You? Thank you. Yeah, good. Thanks. Enjoying the meeting. So uh, why don't you tell us uh, what brought you to ISSCR this year, besides obvious work going on in your lab um, that you want to showcase? It's a combination. This is my first time at ISSCR. So far, it's a great meeting. Um, I also spent four and a half years postdocing here in Sweden. Uh, so a nice opportunity to catch up with old colleagues and people that have dispersed around the world and are all back here at the meeting as well. Okay, nice. Have you seen any uh, work that you've, you know, sort of piqued your interest so far? It's a lot of work <laughs> that's uh, quite closely related to what we do, which is um, always a positive thing to know you've got um, potential collaborators, competition, right. new ideas coming in all the right. time. Also validating what you do, other Absolutely. people are doing it, you know. So yeah. tell, us, tell everybody about what you do. What's your stem cell story? Tell us about what you're looking at. Um, so we've got a lot of interest in understanding midbrain dopamine development with a particular uh, emphasis on generating cells for transplantation. Um, we, work, we have worked a lot in the past with uh, fetal tissue and fetal tissue grafting. And now it's really about the challenges of trying to generate a more sustainable um, quantity and ethically obtainable population sure. of cells for this purpose. Cool. So the ethics, to speak about that for a little bit. In, in Australia, how do they compare to other places? Um, so the ethics is not a major concern. I think it's more... I think the, the, the greater concern is having a scalable population of cells. So we're aware from existing clinical trials that were some decade or uh, in the scene of about a decade, 15 years ago now, that up to eight fetuses were needed to treat a single patient. So it's obviously uh, not a sustainable approach for clinical applications. Right. And the stem cells gives us the opportunity to generate large, large numbers of cells. It also takes away from aborted fetal tissue and um, a more standardizable approach. So we've also seen a lot of variability in the grafting outcomes as a consequence of being unable to standardize uh, fetal oh, tissue. I see. That makes sense. Whereas yeah, we're now developing protocols that will uh, enable us to restrict the fate of these cells mm -hmm. much more closely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you're using pluripotent cells to derive yes. these cells now? Okay. Yep. Okay. So we're using both uh, human and mouse embryonic and induced pluripotent stem cells. We're I, trying I, to, sorry. No, no, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. And we're trying to generate protocols now that will help us move towards clinical applications. So to to, trying to remove all animal-based products from our, our uh, protocols. Excellent. So you really see then, I mean, because I, I know this field is... You know, in, in terms of the in stem cell and regenerative and cell transplant therapies, 
this one has really seemed to be moving really, you know, fast forward. Mm. Um, and so you're right in there. So you must see that too as well, right? That Absolutely. It's, kind of, it's, it's really starting to move. I think it's exciting. Um, and I think um, just to sort of stress on that, I think the reason that Parkinson's disease has received so much attention is the relatively simple pathology by comparison right. to many other diseases. So we know at least the the movement side of the disorder is largely attributed to one population of dopamine cells so if we can regenerate uh, if we can replace that population of cells right. it's uh, moving a lot faster to a therapy by comparison to many other sure. injuries that that affect various cell populations and and create so many more challenges yeah i mean it's kind of like black and white you know it's like yeah. these these specific cells die off they live here yep um you know, and there's other things aren't really it's like a classic yeah, reductionist approach. Right, exactly. Let's start with something small, a small population that's relatively simple, and and if that works, then we can move towards other disorders. Yeah. But I think the the key also is that if you ectopically transplant them to where they project, it it, it seems to work. And yeah. we and Julius's paper uh, Steinbeck et al showed that there is you know circuitry developing Absolutely. in a. Yeah. You know. Which is tremendous. Absolutely. Yeah, We've so. got a big interest in trying to regrow the pathway. And I, s- I mean, I think it's fantastic that the ectopic graphs work, but I still think the ability to integrate into the appropriate circuitry um, shouldn't, um, we shouldn't fail to put our attention on that, right, that prospect right. as well, which is exactly what Steinbeck was doing. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Lovely. Show how they hook up. Do they Absolutely. actually behave like how they should? Yes. I agree. We were talking to Lorenz and, you know, he was talking about that and he was, you can hear it in his voice. He's really excited to see that in some some studies where they where they and they're able to record from projecting areas in the brain uh, that if you f- if you stimulate those donor cells, they will actually elicit a response in the in the host brain and other regions, which is incredible. Mm. It's really incredible to me when I think about that. You know, yeah. you can put something in and it's retained its ability to actually hook up. Whether it hooks up exactly correct, we don't know, but it's definitely doing what, you know, in some some assays, what you think it should be doing, which is incredible. I, I think it's become a, a critical piece in the puzzle. There's been so much speculation about are the transplants just providing trophic uh, right. support for remaining right. cells or are we actually making right. a cell that's functionally integrating into the system? And that's really what what Lawrence has been able to do. Yeah, it's, it's really, been fantastic. really, really cool. Well, yeah. it's a really exciting uh, field. I was excited. I'm, I'm proud to have gone although little time part of that and seen it um yep. because it was a really it kind of just inflected and just went yeah um and it has such a rich history so it's it's really really so nice to hear do you want to give our audience maybe a little sneak peek of uh, or what you uh you had your students present yeah, today or so postdocs some of the work that we've had here or have here this week is um yesterday we had a poster on uh, generating a clinical grade cell for transplantation. So that was working with human ES and IPS cells, trying mm-hmm. to remove feeder layers and uh, all animal components from within the media. Um, and we're now working towards the transplantation of these cells. We've also had a poster on the differentiation and transplantation of pluripotent stem cell um, derived neural progenitors into animal models of stroke. Um, and that's been together with some bioengineered scaffolds trying to look at rebuilding the 3D architecture uh, in which to then seed mm-hmm. the cell, new cells into. What, what type of cells would you transplant? So we're differentiating the, the human ES cells towards a cortical or forebrain progenitor. BF1. Um, <laughs> and we've also got some mouse 
mouse embryonic and induced pluripotent stem cells, looking at making various uh, neural lineages. Okay. Mm. Very cool. Very nice. cool. Well, this has been great. Thank you so much for giving some time to the no podcast. Problem. And uh, let everybody you know, let everyone you know about the Stem Cell Podcast. And for sure. Tell them to tune in. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much. All right. So we are, it's like getting towards the end of the second day. We have Dr. Leah Boyer from the Salk, right? Yep. Salk yeah, beautiful Institute. Salk. You been to the Salk? Never. La Jolla, right? Not La Jolla. Uh, I call it Lajala, but you guys La Jala. So um, you have to tell us your stem cell story. So what's your stem cell story? Why are you here? What do you do? Introduce yourself to the stem cell world. Um, I My stem cell story turned 10 this month. Did it really? It really did. Congratulations. I graduated from college in June 2005 with a degree in biochemistry and a minor in philosophy. And I just figured, where else to put those both to, to good use than stem cells? At the Hell time, yeah. they were incredibly politically charged. Yeah, they were. Um, much more ethically controversial oh, than I think days. we really yeah, had to. Yeah, the Bush to, days. Yeah, those were rough. The Bush days. <laughs> and so it was June 2005 that I joined uh, the core, the Harvard Stem Cell Institute's core at Children's Hospital. And That's a good place to be where they are, for sure. It, it was. We, you know, Torsten and I, um, we thawed those original vials. We set up all the hoods. We were picking our little hearts out. Yeah, and, you were. Uh, and so, yeah, it's been about 10 years, and luckily I'm not picking in the hood anymore. I've come no, you're a long not. Way. I'm still doing that, unfortunately. Yeah, you know what? <laughs> Sometimes I think, about, like, I was, who said it to me in the lab? Someone's like, do we really have to pick? I'm like, yes. You have to pick. <laughs> you, do. Yes, you do. You have to pick. Yeah, unfortunately, so many times you have to pick. come in and say, look at this beautiful, beautiful line. There's trying, no differentiation. They're trying to talk you like, into it. Like, actually, I don't really need to pick, right? Yeah. Like, you got to pick. After that, you know, PLOS paper that I was telling you about where they were saying the most, the least amount of genetic damage comes from passaging via picking onto feeders mm-hmm. was the least amount of damage to the yeah, cell. I, so yeah. I'm, I'm back to picking where I used to do dispays. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I should just say, for the people out there that don't necessarily know picking, picking is when you go in manually and actually pick out colonies. The, yeah, it's those cell red, colony. Those red cells on our logo, you pick, yeah, you pick, pick them, them out. out. And in the middles is where they tend to be, you know, most of the time more, you know, better. So you pick from the middle or you whatever. And, or you pick to, as Mark would say, you pick to throw away or you pick to keep. Yeah. Yep. Pick yeah. to keep or pick to so, remove. Yeah, so, yeah. so that's, that's picking. So, okay, we digress. So... Go ahead. So then you were at the uh, you were in uh, Boston. You were there, and then yeah, I was at I was at the Children's Hospital. We were working mostly on hematopoietic differentiation, which uh, I didn't really appreciate how how nice it was to be able to use facts to analyze all of your differentiations real quick. Uh, I, at the time, I felt. Uh, in the most loving way, in case anyone from Children's is listening, that blood was kind of boring. And I wanted to do something that was a little bit more... I figured for grad school I should do something that was a little bit more personally relevant and stimulating. And uh, for me, that was neuroscience. It was Parkinson's disease. My grandmother had Parkinson's. And so I figured grad school can be hard enough. Might as well do something that is going to get me out of bed in the morning. And, uh, And I think it was... It was a snowy Boston day, and I was watching a documentary by Louis Kahn called My Architect, and they did this flyover the, of the Salk Institute, and then interviewed like, Rusty Gage, and huh. I went, wait a minute, Sign me up. I can do stem cell research there. Yeah. And um, <laughs> That's funny. I've yeah. been to La Jolla. I just remember seeing seals hanging out on the beach, and I was like, That's this all place is amazing. That's all you need. We have seals, we have dolphins, we have whales, uh, and La Jolla is right above a beach called Black's Beach. I mean, a... Salk Institute is right above Black's Beach, and so I get to hike down there and go swimming on my lunch breaks. Yeah, you do. I feel Come like on, the, the luckiest doing? person on the earth. So right. then you went to do your PhD. Uh, yeah, I did my PhD with Rusty. Mm-hmm. Rusty Gage, episode 42. Yes. Great episode. One of our Fantastic. most downloaded. You got Rusty to do this? Yeah. He's awesome. One of our awesome. most downloaded episodes. 
Yosef and I were like two little children. Because as neuroscientists and stuff, we're like, wait, it's over? <laughs> Please, no, just talk, keep talking. <laughs> yeah. That, that could have gone for an hour and a half. Yeah, he was great. Yeah. He was great. So that's no, an awesome Rusty. place he's, to be. He's an incredibly well-rounded person. You know, you could talk to him about science, about the Dalai Lama, about anything. And, sports? And he'll have something to say. Maybe. Maybe, maybe. sports. Enough where you can talk to him. Maybe. Yeah, and, and not, not sarcasm. Wait, you, you brought up, uh, you both went down oh, to Florida. Oh, because he went to University of Florida. Yeah. Uh, and, and I went to University of Miami. I was into the college He was a football. gator and I was a hurricane. Yeah, that yeah. Was the thing. yeah, yeah. So then you stayed out there. Yeah. Well, so I, I've i lived in a lot of places. I've done science in a lot of places. Max Planck Institute, Woods Hole, obviously at Children's. And um, and out of all the places I've been, I've just, I just love San Diego the most. I haven't gotten sick of it yet. The science keeps giving. The city keeps giving. And so... I started after I graduated. I started doing a little postdoc in Rusty's lab, and uh, and then was watching so many people go down the traditional academic path, and just kind of felt that strongly that it wasn't really for me. And, and trying to identify what was for me, I tried to think what makes me different than any other postdoc in this lab, and it was my collaborations. I had dozens of collaborations, and so I just figured that I should return to my core roots because our core director position just opened at the time, and really kind of take advantage of what I feel like I'm naturally good at, which is working with people in an area that I love, which is stem cells. You know, core. we did a show on core facilities, remember? And every we do the next-gen conference, and Leah came and she, did, she gave a talk there. And I really, truly feel that the core facility is key. The, you know what the you know I don't know why I feel like you know it's I don't know why they don't get the love but that's where all the sh- I almost curse that's where all the stuff went goes down yeah. you know that's where everything gets the, they they know the most about how the cells how how they behave what's good what works and if you ignore that information it's just stupid yeah. because uh, you know like we what we're trying to do is minimize variability and do the best experiment possible and you have people with this kind of expertise like yourself like Mark like these guys. They really know these cells and how they behave, so it's it's uh, it's an incredible thing yeah. to, to, to do. Yeah, so, I, no, go ahead, go ahead. Go I ahead. think it's crucial, particularly for stem cell biology. I mean, cores have existed for a while; they exist in all sorts True. of different, generally technology based. But for a science that is so um, expensive, finicky, and uh, and developing at such a quick rate, I think that cores are particularly important. Training? Do you do training in of the course? Of course, yeah. We have yep. a couple different training modules that we That's do. W- for some reason, stem cell cores do training, whereas other cores, like genomics cores, you just submit your RNA, uh, you know, and they process it. No one's going to teach you how to do yeah, it's run because a it's like a bit like money, right? But yeah. here it's like more like we want, you know, teach, Spread the love. teach a man to fish. Like, yeah, you know, yeah, we, yeah, we yeah. want you to learn how to do it. Um, it's true. A lot of those cores, though, they're kind of babysitting machines. And I don't want to show my bias, but a lot of those cores tend to be a true. little bit more technology based. Where right. um, you either, you know, teaching them is kind of like teaching them how to run a machine, and also you don't want to put your machine at risk by having a dozen yeah. different users yeah, maybe on that's a quarter why. million dollar machine. Right. Uh, right. Yeah, that's like the fax cores or yeah, yeah don't touch my machine. Yeah, yeah or exactly. the, you know the sequencing cores or any of right. that. Right. Whereas we also we want to give people the skills where they start their own labs that they know how to do things appropriately. And we actually we serve as a resource for them. So many of the postdocs that have left the Salk still call us and email us for protocols or um, you know just standard of practice. Do you work only in with an institution or Sadly, right now, yes. Is that we, uh, the way it's set up? Yeah, it's the way it's set up. Salk feels very strongly that its cores are there to support its researchers. And, uh, and it's a little bit of a shame because we have such an extensive network within San Diego. And a lot of people do come to us asking for help. If they have a SALT collaborator, anybody that works with anyone at the SALT can work with us. Okay. And so from all over the world. If you have a SALT collaborator, you so can come and take our so courses. Get your foot in that SALT door yeah. and you can talk it's to the It's worth a visit. It's a great idea. It's a great idea. Well, um, I don't know. Well, it's been... Thought I d- this is like... 
I, I sit here and I debate, Yost, because I'm like, I really want, I'm looking at these posters and I'm thinking to myself, like, man, we're doing these podcasts and we don't get to see the posters, but I have so much fun sitting here and talking <laughs> to people all day. I really, really do. So, Leah, thank you so much for coming on the of show. Of course. Thank you have for having Have a good me. time. Okay, so we're here on day three, nice and early. Yeah, <laughs> man, we um, made it. Well, yeah. <laughs> early for us. <laughs> yeah, so, um, okay, we're joined here by Patty, tell Such me your last Mitra? name. Citra Mitra. Mitra. Yeah. Mitra. I know it's a hard one. Yeah, no, that's she's, okay. she's joining us from Oxford. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. She uh, got here bright and early. She she definitely wants a t-shirt. <laughs> yeah. Aren't we all? Good. We got to give away t-shirts. Um, so uh, tell us, what brings you to ISSCR this year? Um, I'm doing my PhD um, oh, yeah. and it's my last year. So it's the perfect time to try to get a uh, bit of feedback on the work that I've been trying to do. Um, and I mean, I've always wanted to the come to this conference. I've worked with stem cells for six years now. Yeah. And this has been like, you know, the who's, pinnacle conference. Who's, whose lab are you in? I'm in Dr. Uh, Professor Paul Fairchild's lab in uh, the University of Oxford. He's um, the the head of the Oxford Stem Cell Institute. Oh, cool. nice. Um, we work on the cusp of stem cell and immunology. Okay. Oh, nice. That's a cool field. Yeah. So I'm kind of halfway stem cell biologist, halfway immunology. Okay. Yeah. So um, anything piqued your interest at the conference? Yes, Any I talks mean, or there's, um, posters? In fact, actually, the my my the session that's most relevant to me is actually tomorrow morning, which is a stem cell and immunology session. Okay. And there's some very good um, talks happening there. So some differentiation of iPS cells into T cells. Mm-hmm. I mean, differentiating immune cells from iPS cells, something that people haven't really tried to do so much. Right. I mean, it's only in the past couple of years that it's become more of a field. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're getting protocols coming out of T-cells. And, you know, these T-cells can be used for immunotherapy. What I'm trying to do is trying to get dendritic cells. My boss always says this is a low-hanging fruit of, of yeah. the iPS cell. It's much easier than actually getting cardiac cells and stuff. Because these cells only have to survive for a few days in the immune system to prime the immune response. Mm. So, you know, it, it doesn't have yeah, to yeah. live that long. So, it's, it's probably easier, I mean... To, to, to do it in theory. I mean, uh. practically, we <laughs> you, <laughs> know, about these, you know, uh, mega on paper, everything looks great. <laughs> where are they called? The mega mega carrion, the mega karyocytes. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I'm I'm doing dendritic cell stuff. So who is I, the who? Uh, what what type of cell is the parental cell for the dendritic? Cell? Uh, monocyte. Um, Monocytes. Yeah, they, so they have a monocyte precursor. They they come from a lineage from like <coughs> hematopoietic stem cells, but um, in vitro, which is what we do, we take iPS cells and they go through about four weeks of differentiation. Okay. With a bunch of growth factors, um, GMCSF, VEGF, BMP4. Okay. I mean, it's a published protocol that was generated in our lab, and um, and we get um, dendrit- monocyte-like precursors first at the mm-hmm. end of it, at the end of the the four weeks, and then after that, we differentiate them for another week um, with a couple of factors that are well defined in the literature, GMCSF and IL4. That's what you would normally use if you got monocytes from blood and you wanted to get dendritic cells. So it's similar. Um, and then after that, we get dendritic cells. And, you know, um, my poster was yesterday and I've shown um, over the last few years that I've been working in the lab that they're f- perfectly functional dendritic cells. They're what are the markers? To, uh, the markers are CD11C, mm-hmm. uh, MIT class, uh, class 2, which are the two markers that define the dendritic cell population. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is like, you know, it's the gold standard uh, markers. And so the, the type of dendritic cells we get are myeloid subset. Mm-hmm. Um, and we get about 60 to 90% purity of okay, the subset. Okay, cool. Yeah. That's pretty so good. <clears throat> as a student, tell you know, do you feel that this meeting is beneficial for someone in your stage of your career? Oh, yes, very much so. I think um, especially for someone who's in the last year of their PhD, 
you you need to get out there and you need to present your work you know you need to see it in the bigger picture how does it fit into all right. the stuff that's going on in the field and you know and i think just coming to to an event like this meeting stem cell biologists doing so many different things from all across the world you get a bit of perspective you know what are people doing you know and and you get not just perspective but ideas just sure. like you know looking at protocols and i mean i've been noting down stuff you know oh yeah we could use this you know we could um hone our techniques and you know make things um make the yield better you know shorten the process just you know mm. that 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 kind of input is invaluable i mean not just at the last year but any stage of your phd sure. i mean i'd recommend yeah. coming to a meeting like I, this i remember i remember when i was a grad student coming to meetings i would go back to the lab fired up yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I, I was like, I'm going to get this done. I'm getting my, pa-, you know, and just, you know, because you get here and you see that you're a not the only one with that idea, you know, and b like there's a lot of things to do. Exactly. Uh, not only in the lab and your work, but in your life and yes. your career. Cause you yeah. see every there's day. No lack of things so you're to just do, saying, yeah. you know, that's that's one of the reasons why I really really love to send uh, people from my lab to a meeting because when you when they come back. They're all pumped up. Everyone's fired up. Like, exactly. Oh, this yeah. is awesome. I mean, I you know, so. it's so small sitting in the lab every day, pipetting away. It's, you know, it, it's a bit isolating. Even yeah. though, you know, you have, you have lab mates. I, in a way, you kind of, you know, you're just getting on with it. And, you know, you kind of feel like, oh, sometimes you're banging your head against the wall a little bit. You come out, you meet people. You, you know, the perspective and the, the interaction with like-minded scientists, right. is, it's invaluable. Right. And yeah. uh, just a question about the protocols. Um, do people use small molecules to to lessen the cost of these Very expensive good question. growth factors? It's something we're working on at the moment because um, the the differentiation process is is ridiculously expensive, and um, so one of one of uh, the projects in the lab at the moment is collaborating with chemistry department in Oxford to try to identify small molecules to replace to eventually replace all the factors that we have in the differentiation. Yeah, I'm sure, there's something to yes, stimulate course, those yeah. pathways. It's, it's only a matter of time before we find them. I yeah. mean, and we're screening molecules. Yeah, okay. At the moment. Great. Very, very well, cool. Thanks yeah. for coming by. Yeah, thank no, you so no, much no, for stopping no. by. Have a please, good time, Please make guys. sure to tune in to the Stem Cell I Podcast. I will do. All right, All right. Thank you. Thanks. Okay, so we're continuing the day. We have um, Jakob Havna from the Weizmann Institute. Uh, how are you doing? Welcome to the show. Well, great. Thank you. Well, exciting meeting. How's, yeah. how's it going, the meeting so far? Are you enjoying yourself? Very much. Uh, just uh, nice talks. And uh, I'm, I'm, I might be biased because I'm on the program committee. But sure, uh, sure. <laughs> actually, it's, you know, it's, it's fun and uh, nice to see everyone as usual. So we're seeing some action on, the, on Twitter about Austin's talk. This, yeah. um, we weren't able to go. So yes. um, I've been following a bit. You were there, I'm assuming, at the talk. Yes. So t- tell us a little bit about it. It was about his uh, so, uh, naive stage. Yeah, uh, he presented an elegant talk, uh, follow up on their work um, that they published. They can grow uh, human ES cells um, uh, into a naive cell sure. or a reset state by putting two transgenes, KLF2 and Nanog, and then growing cells in 2i lift sure. and uh, PKC inhibitor. And now, um, and the paper claims at the end that they can grow them without feeders and without any transgenes. Uh, now he has presented the unpublished data where they derive, without any transgenes from embryos, some cell lines uh, only in 2i lift uh, PKC inhibitor, uh, which is very interesting. Um, Do they derive that way? From the embryo. Okay. Yes. Um, however, and that's without the nanog? Yeah, without yeah. any uh, nanog. But uh, I, I just, w- before I. Um, 
say my opinion or what might be interpreted as a critique. I just want to say I, I'm a big believer that these studies are very important. I believe that they're, in general, even in the mouse, there are different conditions, sure. different states, and we can learn a lot from this. Um, uh, and, that's, and that's really important. I think it's exciting work. Um, I, ha- I tried to get to uh, one re- uh, critique question that's being avoided uh, in the talk that they're claiming first that they did not use FGF and TGF or active in as cytokines. However, they are deriving cells on feeders, which obviously secrete a lot of right, FGF sure. and activin. Mm-hmm. And I tried to ask him, can he permanently grow the cells with FGF inhibitors and TGF inhibitors? Because in their published paper, they only did seven days. Um, and this is very, from our experience, you need at least 30 days to make such claims. Okay. And I didn't get a response for that. Okay. The second question we asked him, what about DNA methylation? Uh, there were published data sets on DNA methylation that shows global hypomethylation um, actually shows that there is global loss of imprinting, which mm. is very aberrant. This is clearly what's not what's happening in the inner cell mass. Sure. And uh, unfortunately, I didn't get a response for that question. Okay. Okay. Uh, so I think it's just, I just want to understand it, this, and I think it's important. Um, and, um, and, and, and he was saying that the cells are not like the ones they published with the transgenes. So it was more mellow. And he was saying that now they only use feeder cells, which is different what was published before, which is fine. But we just want to understand. Right. Mm. Uh, explain, explain to everyone who might not understand why that would be a, a significant feat to derive uh, you know, that, this state of cell from the human. So first of all, I mean, our group has derived eric-independent naive cells from embryo. Rudy Yenich right. has derived right, right, right. Exactly. They're trying to say that we're tr- creating a different cell that doesn't need FGF and TGF at all. And we're just trying to answer, say that, is that true? When you're using feeder cells, are there, is there, or is right. there autocrine secretions? Mm. And, and from our experience... So no exogenous. No exogenous. Right. No, the, the issue also here, which we're trying to understand that, um, 2i-LIF-PKC inhibitor that they published is not sufficient to grow cells indefinite naive cells, not from embryos, not without transgenes, and not without feeders. So we believe a lot of the data that they published, which is great data, but it comes that the cell lines had transgenes. And even when you remove doxycycline, there is leakiness, and you select for this. And we're trying to understand, can you really make cells that are genetically unmodified, okay, long-term, in only 2-I-LIF PKC inhibitor? Without feeders, are they really FGF, TGF? What is the DNA methylation? What are these cells? Right. That's, that's all. We just want to understand. Sure, sure. It. Yeah, that makes uh, sense. And, 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 and just we're trying to get... Because we believe that the devil is in the detail. Sure. And, no, uh, yeah. and uh, th- that is all. And I, I think it's great work. And I, like, I really like all papers that are published on this topic. And, and there's definitely... Uh, it's, it's a very important question. So this was preceding a publication. This is not published. That this he, is not published. Okay. Uh, okay. So it's presumed that there may be a little bit more data in the paper, or uh, yeah, I know exactly. No Yosef and I were talking about this uh, a bit, and and we can ask you this question: Tech, biologically, this this naive state versus the the you know the the traditional ES, uh, yeah. Yeah, the, yeah biologically, I feel it's important and it's very interesting as a biologist, yeah. someone who studies this technically for the field. 
Does it matter? Exactly. And so, <laughs> so I, I think this is a great question. It's just and, a, you know, and, I, I don't. And for us, uh, I usually in my talks after I present that I even made I have a slide just saying who cares. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't no, want to say it right. in more rude language. Not, not that way, right? but you know uh, yeah, what exactly. I'm saying. And, like, and I think. Um, a publication that we've had in collaboration with Azim Sorani uh-huh. um, in Cell about uh, being able to make human PGCs from human naive cells. Primordial germ Primordial cells. Primordial germ cells. Yeah. And that, um, uh, that the cells where um, uh, the primed conventional cells are extremely inefficient in doing this. Sure. And the naive cells we had. Uh, uh, they were doing that, and this is. I think this was an important. Because what you can call them sure. X, you could call them. I say right. shukumuku. We <laughs> call them naive. They did a different function. I think that was an important. Just to give a thought uh, that they did a different function, and I think the question is that why did they behave right. better, right? Right. Because mm-hmm. this could be may. You know, for example, we are failing to make hematopoietic stem cells so far really robust. Right, right. So maybe there's a paradigm there that if we understand it, we can apply it there. Sure. And, and, that's, and, and also, from, you know, we're now looking at different naive conditions, and many different conditions can make PGCs, PGC, uh, so which is important. And we look what is common, why, where is this coming from. Uh, that is one example. Another example is a paper just came out yesterday in Cell Stem Cell uh, from uh, uh, Kizu in China. Oh, the monkey. The monkey. And they've yep. used our conditions, the NHSM conditions, and they were able to derive naive um, monkey ESLs. And for the first time, they were able to make chimeric fetuses. And they were, they were not yeah, able to make crazy. it with conventional cells. Also, Metalipo published previously, he cannot do them with us. And again, of course, sure. it's my conditions. That's not, I'm not saying my conditions are the best, are the only ones doing it. Not at all. Probably not. But again, just going to the questions, I think that's what exactly, that it makes a difference. And we need to understand that difference. What, the, what is the difference? That is one thing. And if I may just add one sentence. Sure. The other things that we are learning and, and um, that the concept of naive and primed and, uh, is we're looking at it as like a naive versus prime as one jump but we actually think it's it's a continuum and you can you know the cons- you can make cells more naive in different features and the question is always what do you need it for and and we don't know we always say based on function but what we've also learning that if you make cells naive too much you can see aberrancies so for example in the mouse mm. uh, two eye lift conditions which are absolutely great and revolutionary devised by Austin Smith we you know, discovered that they are hypomethylated, but we now see that if we keep them more than 20 days, they also get lose imprinting. Keep them more than 20 days into ILF. In the beginning, you maintain imprinting, which is DNA methylation. Right. But after that, you lose imprinting. So there is, I, th- we, I believe there is a dark side to naive state that hmm. might be dangerous to keep them all the time in this state. I see. And, and that's exactly another question. Uh, you know, there, is this, and why is this happening? It's just not a stable state to well, maintain. Well, think about it. Naive state is a transient one day right. it doesn't state exist in vivo. Like, right. When you exaggerate it and keep it indefinite in vitro, abnormal yeah. things happen. Why, why is that, the loss of imprinting important? Uh, if you have loss of imprinting, this is, I mean, if tissues that lose imprinting, it's known uh, they cause diseases and they can cause, actually cause tumors. Okay. So you ne- you'd never want to inject any cell type that loses imprinting. I see. And, and again, you can create a debate. It's like, do you want to actually, uh, if we're looking at naive pluripotency as a spectrum, do we want to grow cells as uh, yeah. uh, not fully, fully the most naive, but kind of a, on kind of a low scale fire, right. or, or maybe yeah. you can grow them as primed, 
and then one week make them naive and then do your function. Yeah. These are open questions. As I said, the devil is in the detail and we welcome and we need input from the community to test their lines. How are they being, you know, if you have a cell line that is not good at something, does it be, what is better? What, do, yeah. do I naive it? Do I prime it for two days and then differentiate? Right. right. Many, many exciting so questions. One of, the, one of the things someone told me, it might have been Austin, I forget, uh, it was that when I asked the question, who cares? Like we were talking yeah. about in terms of technical. I think what, was it Paul? I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah. One of the one of the answers that I thought was intriguing, I just didn't really actually, was that there's so there's variability that exists experiment to experiment when you're using you know human ES IPS cells yes. in that state, De- right? Definitely. So, so there's different ranges and states of pluripotency. So if in the naive state you can truly go backwards and get to a point where you hit the a cells wall, are more homogeneous, right? And so every time you go back, they're all in the same place, yes. then maybe that might offer a better starting point. Exactly. But like yeah. you're saying, if you can't, if there are levels and they're too there, they're being there too much is bad. This is the stuff you need to know exactly. before we can exactly. go. So I guess it's good. I, this is defining conditions and these kind of things are good so you can ask these questions definitely I mean one one question I often get uh, you know what is better naive or prime and I always say well in development there is naive and prime so they're both important they're both important and I think exactly that's the point I think naiveness it's about resetting making erasing everything to have a starting material and of course how much do erasure do we need to make that's right. not the question and then I think the pri- and if you think how are we erasing we're basically blocking more and more signaling pathway now when you block signaling pathway when you want the cells to differentiate they're not going to yeah. Respond. Yeah. So yeah. then right. you need the primed, right. but you don't need to keep them all the time primed. There's two <laughs> days, they're receptive, and that's how development works. And, and, and exactly, and we want to understand how the resetting is being done and how is the competence, as the case, as I mentioned, sure. the PGC sure. is being created. Right. It's not even understood in the mouse, not only in the human. Right. So just we think it's, it's really important, and we just, uh, it, I think it's an exciting, that's the way we, and, and there are probably different ways, and there's just open questions. Yeah. And nice. So, um, I just want to ask you a question. Uh, you're active on Twitter, and uh, we were visiting uh, Paul Knopfler's blog, yes. and he had uh, on his site said that there was a controversy between you and Silva on yes. this. Uh, do you want to address this at all? Uh, I mean, I think, yeah, sure. I mean, we're um, first, then I welcome you to, uh, there's a talk by my student in the next session, which is the follow-up work on the MBD3 Nerdware, which we think is super exciting. Nice. Uh, in fact, that's, to that's us... That's coming up in this set. In, in right? the next okay, session, okay. yes. Your Achreis is presenting okay. his unpublished data. Okay. Um, we actually do not see a controversy. Um, our paper clearly said that MBD3 complete ablation of MBD3 uh, leads to abrupt cell proliferation. And if you lose cell proliferation, um, uh, you, you just do not reprogram the cells. Right. And it right. was a key right. point we, we talked about that on the show, I remember. Yeah, it was a key point yeah. to regulate the process all the way down. And their paper, basically just all conditions, if you look at the proliferation curves, they stop the proliferation. What Joach is going to present uh, was really nice. So we asked, okay, what do we need? We want a protein that is part of the NERD complex. We want to deplete it all the, all way, the way so we were more flexible and we want to do it early. So we identified a component called uh, GATA D2A, which is part of the NERD complex. Um, there are only six publications on, uh, on PubMed on this. On this uh, so my PhD student is very happy. Uh-huh. And the, you depleted, you can kill the protein, no loss proliferation, and we can reprogram with 100% efficiency with great flexibility, just like with the MBD3 hypomorphic cell line. Nice. So again, I, we didn't see it, but unfortunately, you know, um, I think uh, people, 
perhaps wasn't received in the details and so on. And it's a matter of definition. Some people might, like Silva, might think that you know, the killing the proliferation is part of the reprogramming process. We think differently because we think for any repressor, if you're DNMT1 or Dicer or MBD3, if you knock out the protein, ES cells are fine. Prime cells and somatic cells lose proliferation and therefore they capture the program. So this, I don't call it it's an epigenetic event sure. per se. But it, it, it's all words. In the end, I think it's about MBD3 NERD is a very important complex that we just the, needed to regulate right. it. And the other thing that Joach will present, that his papers claim that NERD in a way, if you remove the complex or deplete it, the cells become, should become more naive. And it turns out this PKC inhibitor that we use in our naive conditions and Austin Smith uses in naive conditions leads to degradation of MBD3 protein ah, in ES cells. Okay. And we think it's the stories are connecting together. And again, there's a lot more to understand. It's a very complex biology. Now we don't sure. think we'll pretend that we solved sure. everything. Sure. But just it's slow progress and, and we welcome critiques, uh, but we, we prefer to address them in journals and, uh, and in meetings. Agree, agree. Uh, yeah. w- one more minute if yes. I can. Uh, you, there was a paper that you just published that I was seeing in Nature Biotech. Is that, I get that correct? Yes. Uh, so congratulations back, uh, on that. Conrad Hawk and yeah, so, Thank so you. So just for, just for in a minute, can you just give us a quick, a little for the audience, they want to go read a little bit more. Tell us just a yes. little quick about so that. The, um, there were so elegant work published by Sheng Ding and then followed by over 17 papers in literature, which is uh, what, what we call as repro- uh, transdifferentiation with the Yamanaka f- factors. So, of course, the Yamanaka factors, usually you give them and you make iPS cells. But what these papers claim that they can do transdifferentiation. They give Yamanaka factors for a very, very brief Quick period time, of time, yeah. and then they do the reprogramming in, in differentiation media, not in ES cell media. Mm. So, they claim that they create a non-pluripotent plastic state. Right. And these cell, the papers were excellent, and it might be very therapeutically relevant, these cells, and we agree with their data. The only missing part was us from, as a pluripotency researchers, are, are you going really making... through that state? Exactly. Yeah. Um, and we did lineage tracing with multiple systems, with different stoichiometries. The same thing was done by a group of Hoch- uh, Edlinger, and we see between 85 to 100% of the cells being generated uh, go through a pluripotent state, and they differentiate. We cannot say that it's absolutely impossible that they, this happens. But when you think about it from a therapeutic perspective, if you are, if IPS cell state is being created that often, um, then it means that a lot of the problems or the benefits of IPS cells are also applied to this technology, yeah. whether, you know, copy number variations and mutations. So, um, so that's that's why it's also nature biotech. I think for the bio industry as well, just to realize that it's it's you know we cannot ignore the IPS self. Uh Issues and benefits, and that, that's what these stores are about. Very, very cool. So that's uh, that's online, uh, Nature Biotech. Uh, Dr. Hannah's on Twitter, correct? Do you want to give everybody it's uh, where they can follow you if they want to put to at Jacob underscore Hannah. Hannah. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually I'm looking Twitter, at it right so. now. So go follow him. He's, he's active on Twitter. He does great work. You can read all his publications. He's got a talk coming up, a graduate student, correct? Yes. Thank you so much for Thank coming you, by guys. and taking the time. Thank you, Thank you again. All right, so we have uh, David... McKeown, I got that, from the New York Stem Cell Foundation. Dave, welcome to the podcast. How you doing, man? Good. Thanks for having me on. So we should start. Dave is not a stem cell scientist. No. Correct. But has been around this uh, field and industry for how long now? I've been there. I first joined in 2008, summer of 2008. So it's been seven years now. So it's been seven years. So let's start. Tell, give, give your brief. Um, what, what is NICEF? What are they doing? 
So, I mean, New York Stem Cell Foundation is a nonprofit organization with a mission to cure diseases using stem cell research. Uh, I mean, that's pretty broad. So we, we have a, three main areas um, that we've been focusing on really start since, the, since the beginning. Um, we, we hold meetings and conferences throughout the year. Um, that's a small part of what we do. We also support scientists uh, both in the New York tri-state area as well as internationally. So there's two different programs we have. One that you're familiar with, Chris, because you were one of our uh, fellows when, when you were at Sloan Kettering. So we support um, postdoctoral fellows. Yep. Uh, it's a three-year three -year award. Great um, award that really helped me. I know that much for sure. So, so, um, so we, when... In 2009, we, we were looking at that program, and, and people were saying, well, what happens when we're done with that award? What happens when we go become professors? There's not a lot of money out there. So we started what's called the Early Career Investigator Program. So that's a five-year five -year grant, million and a half dollars, that's opened up to scientists around the world. Um, so that's a, the idea being that in your first five years or your first few years of getting a professorship, it's really hard to get the money at that point. So if we can you know, give them a big, big sum of money, that hopefully can do a lot of research, get a lot of funding. Um, you know, at the, at the tail end of that. And, and so, and there's a lot of relative freedom with that award, correct? A absolutely. It's a, it's a very sort of, the application is like, just tell us what you want to do. And then, and then they come back. Um, and we, you know, it's, it's, we, when we award it, it it's, we're, we're giving the award to a person so they right. can do what they want with it. You're as funding the, you're funding the scientists. Yeah, not yet. Yeah. The, the, you know, the application is going to be, you know, a project or, you know, what their sort of big ideas are, but, you know, they can do what they want with the money once they have it. And so, um, you know, some people are, by the end of their, their five years, they're doing something completely different than what they thought they were going to be doing in the be beginning. But yeah, didn't Boyden just say yeah, something to that yeah. effect? Yeah, so we, we just have, we have this retreat where we bring everyone together <laughs> for, for a week-long week meeting. And Ed, Ed Boyden, he's a, a neuroscientist, and, and he was saying at the end of his talk, you know, when he was thanking the, the, the foundation, he was... He was saying, you know, and, and I appreciate them allowing me to do this research, which is completely different than what, what I, I sort of originally proposed uh, to do. So, but but um, he's he's a perfect example of someone that you want to give right. the money to and let him do what he does. Yeah, we he's, talked he's about a, him being uh, a he's future like a, Nobel. Yeah, he's a brilliant guy. Yeah. So. yeah, so it's it's cool, and it's it's um, you know, Chris, you've been around for a while. It's sort of it's a it's a community of scientists that sort of has Absolutely. helped develop through this sort of postdoctoral fellowship program. Um, into early career investigators and and you know it's really good to have, bring everyone together um we've actually seen you know uh, i think one or two people going on who were who were in the postdoc program going on to to win the investigator award um uh prizes uh awards so uh yeah it's been it's been really good so then the third area that we have is a research institute we've got uh about 45 scientists in a research uh institute in upper manhattan and uh we have uh Different scientists leading their leading different research teams, but we also have a uh, group focused into technology development. Uh, specifically, uh, we have this one technology called the Global Stem Cell Array, and basically it's an automated system for, for iPSL uh, production and differentiation. So uh, with this, the way we operate is in a very collaborative way. We, we're sort of stem cell experts, and then we like to work with... Uh, different clinicians and other stem cell scientists um, in different areas. And so uh, it's been a really successful model, and uh, we've been around for 10 years, and um, sort of we're now embarking in the next 10 years. And, yeah, you that's know, really grown, yeah. right? I mean, you guys really grew that. Because yeah. I, I remember when I was a fellow in 2008, the, that was really just starting up. Yeah. And now you've got 40-some-odd yeah. people. Chris, what, I don't know if you've been there lately, but I went up there this year, and uh, the automated system right? there is probably the most impressive. Yeah. 
lab I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. It's so. I mean, I've only seen the videos, yeah, uh, yeah, and yeah. I imagine in person it's you like a come whole up other world. In New York, but uh, I, should, I mean, I, yeah. I, I've heard it's just yeah. tremendous. Kudos yeah. to Scott Nagel for pulling that yeah, one off. It's, yeah, it's it's been a, it's been a long process, but yeah, I mean, so Chris, you were you were saying it's grown, and when I joined in 2008, there was just one person. So I, sh- I should step <laughs> back. The the lab started as a safe haven laboratory in 2006 right. to yeah. facilitate a collaboration between. Columbia University and Harvard University to do somatic cell nuclear transfer. They needed yeah. a, a safe haven laboratory yeah. where they could isolate fibroblasts yeah. and ship them up to Boston, where they would then uh, do the do the work at Harvard. Um, initially, so Dieter Egli yeah. initi- then Bush, had to come Bush from days. Harvard yeah. uh, down to down to us because they couldn't get the oocytes there, and that helped grow the lab as well. Um, but Scott joined in summer of 08, I think, and I, I was there a little bit before him, and there was one person, just a lab manager, and so it's been really crazy to see the growth of yeah, the lab man. from a lab manager to you know this active research institute so right. so you got it's it's nycef.org right nyscf.org yep. and the yep. meeting your big meeting you have is in fall right yep. it's october 28th and 29th this year two-day meeting pretty intensive meeting i think you guys come yep. pretty much every year so yep. it's a good meeting and uh it's really packed in with uh, talks uh, just one session um, good scientists this year speaking. Uh, all the information is up on the website. And the fellowships, they can all go there and find out Yeah, when. so, so the, both, the, both the fellowships and the investigator awards, the RFA will open at the conference in October. Okay. Um, they'll be due... Uh, I think they're probably around like spring. Like, yeah, like February, end of February, early yeah. March. But, but if that, that, all that information is up on the website. And right. uh, uh, that'll, the RFAs open up in... Uh, October of uh, this year at the conference. Cool, so, cool, yeah. great. And they also had the best el- umbrellas in town. best umbrellas. <laughs> <laughs> we every time yeah. I caught in a storm, I'm the only one that's making it through because of that yeah. nice of umbrella, yeah. man. Yeah. That's a diesel umbrella. Yeah, yeah. I love we, get, that we get a lot of compliments on those <laughs> umbrellas. <laughs> yeah. uh, so before we let you go, you sound very comfortable on the microphone, and I know that you have yeah. a, uh, an, uh, a, a podcast venture of your own. So take a second to tell us what the podcast. Yeah, so is. so I'm interested in the microbiome as well, and so. Um, I knew what you guys were doing with the stem cell podcast, and, and a buddy of mine is a PhD in microbiology, and so we started doing stuff in uh, in the microbiome called uh, American Microbiome Institute, uh, microbiomeinstitute.org if people are interested. And uh, so we, we started a podcast like uh, uh, maybe three months ago or so, and nice. before, we, before we started, I actually I talked to Chris, and he gave me a bunch of pointers, and, and so it was certainly... A lot, of, a lot of help to talk to you about that. But, yeah, I mean, the idea is just exploring the microbiome in a similar way that you guys explore the stem cell, the stem cell field. So um, it's definitely grown a lot since, since we started, and uh, it's, it's, a, it's a lot of fun. I mean, we were talking about this before, Chris, yeah. but, you know, uh, I like talking on the microphone. We, we also have a blog. It's, you know, blogging's... We, we, we review scientific papers on the blog. It's a lot more work to, to do that sure, than yeah, just to, you know, pick up the microphone. We know all about that. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and so h- how often does it get published? Bi-weekly. Bi-weekly. Yeah, bi-weekly. So we can go to, it's on iTunes? It's on iTunes. It's uh, whatever your favorite Stitcher, you know, iTunes, podcast player is. Yeah, you yeah, can cool. join. Just search Microbiome Podcast. Uh, microbiome will come up. And so, cool, man. yeah, it's a different area. You recommend any uh, probiotics? You know, it's, it's it's an interesting area, probiotics. It's uh, should I be eating my Activia daily, or you know, <laughs> does it not matter? <laughs> well, it, it's it, people don't know, right? It's it, like you know, the the issue is when you're taking them is are they are they staying after you stop eating the yogurt and right. things like that? It it's going to have an yeah. acute effect, most likely. But the, but if you is it really you know colonizing your body. Is it your really body? impacting the yeah. flora? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is yeah, it yeah. really impacting the flora? That's that's the question that people are trying to find out. And and how do you 
how do you introduce probiotics that do colonize the flora? Um, right. So. Right. Cool, yeah. man. So it's a it's an exciting field, and it's new, and it's growing, and it's uh, good. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Do it. It's fun. We love yeah. to do it. So yeah. I'm glad to see that yeah. you, that you did it because yeah. I know you said you wanted to, and then it's wanting to, and then doing it are two different things. That's the same thing with everything, right? Right. Like, you gotta just like, do it like a bandaid. Just 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 do it, and and then. Uh, Cool. Uh, yeah. Nicep.org. And yeah. then you can check out the Microbiome Podcast. Yeah. yeah Thanks, cool. man. Thanks for Thanks having for me on. Bye. Okay. So welcoming back a uh, favorite of the Stem Cell Podcast, uh, Paul Tazar. He's uh, hailing from Case Western. And um, unfortunately, he did not get to where his Stem Let's Cell Podcast is. this tie. right now. <laughs> Everybody's listening to the show probably heard me talk about this tie for a long time. And... Uh, I I, I I dropped the ball, gentlemen. So Paul has on? Paul thanks has no tie me. for the for his talk. his his big award. Uh, congratulations! Yeah, thanks very much. I appreciate it. Yeah, outstanding young investigator, well deserved. And you you have a backup tie. I do. My beautiful wife has provided me with a backup tie. Man. Apparently, she knows you better than. Uh, <laughs> apparently, apparently. Oh man, oh, that's great. such a bad scene. So no, seriously, man. How's uh, how's your meeting experience going so yeah, far? Pretty me- good. Meeting's been been fantastic. I think you know we're starting to see a lot of the basic biology begin to translate in some of the preclinical uh, work, and even some of the stuff from like Hans Cleavers, where he's utilizing iPS cells to phenotype. Know patients, yeah, and, yeah. and deliver drugs. I thought some of that stuff was really, really impressive. Nice. And we, so uh, we didn't get to cover your latest paper, uh, the Nature paper. Uh, tell tell our audience about it. So we had a paper. It appeared online in April in Nature. It was just in the most recent uh, issue on uh, June 11th uh, in Nature. And we were thinking about sort of utilizing the stem cell technologies in our lab in a slightly different way. And so oftentimes we think about the utilization of stem cell therapeutics by direct transplantation. And I think that, you know, approach is going to, you know, reap huge benefits for the field down the road. But what we wanted to do here was ask if we could control the endogenous stem cells already in the in brain. There, yeah. Right. And so to do that, we needed a large population of those cells in vitro. So... You know, we've developed technologies in the lab that allow us to generate large populations of a specialized stem cell in the brain called oligodendrocyte progenitor cells, and then we utilize those to screen for drugs that might sort of stimulate or jumpstart them forward into a mature fate. Nice. And uh, you found two drugs in particular, one for uh, psoriasis, is that correct, and one for fo- athlete's foot? Yeah. So, uh, you know, when you go into these screens, you, you, I can, love never, you can never predict what's, what's going what's gonna to come out. And I think, um, you know, we've done a lot of screening in the lab, and this was really the first report of, of a small uh, compound library that we've, we've screened. But really the top hit was a drug called meconazole, which yeah, is typically meconazole. found in, you know, athlete's foot powder. It's given topically. But you know, we never really can predict how these cells are going to, how these drugs are going to act in particular, you know, cell populations. And so, right now, we're you know utilizing these hits that we we have, and, and the hope is to be able to, because these are FDA approved drugs. Right. This one in particular is approved topical, but there are related uh, family members that are approved for oral delivery. And so, we're we're really excited, and we you know we're currently in the process of finishing a clinical protocol to have a clinical trial start as soon as we can get it funded. So, so the idea is uh, for multiple sclerosis that this could be a potential treatment to uh, stimulate oligodendrocyte precursors uh, to essentially remyelinate or stop dying. 
Yeah, I mean, multiple sclerosis, uh, the pharmaceutical industry, it's a, it's a multi, multi-billion dollar industry, and they focused largely on the autoimmune component of the disease right. thus far. And so it's sort of like if you have a leaky pipe in your house and it floods your basement, you fix the pipe, uh, it, you know, so you're stopping the flood of cells into your brain, you're stopping the water from flooding into your house. But if you don't, like, get rid of that sort of nasty couch that got flooded and sort of repair the carpet and the drywall, you're going to have sort of a dysfunctional room. And in the same case here, if you don't actually regenerate the cells that are lost in the brain, uh, you're going to, you know, have continued dysfunction and ultimately disability and paralysis. So what we're trying to do here is in combination with the autoimmune or the immune therapies, um, is to stimulate regeneration of the brain and replace those cells right. that are lost. So, yeah. so what's what's next? What's the next phase? Right. So, I mean, I think I think this is really where uh, you know we talked to uh, Mark Tomashima, who's developing this protocol for midbrain dopamine neuron cell transplant therapy. He's saying, you know, you get to a prototype, then you get to a protocol, and then you have to actually take the next step, and that's getting it to the FDA and getting it there. So. What's next for you guys? Where do you where do you want to take that, and how, what's the process look like? I mean, I think we, we have a multi stage sort of pipeline in a lab where you know we're continuing to drive discovery of you know new potential therapeutics. Uh, we're doing a lot of screening with microRNAs. We're doing other compound libraries, other ways to stimulate this forward. With the current class of, of hits, obviously it becomes an enormous effort if we have to do medicinal chemistry right. to modify these. Uh, for safety and efficacy. With the known drugs, I think we have an opportunity here if we can get the dosing and the delivery right and we have some some significant safety sort of preclinical right. animal medical work to do there. But I think in a shorter period of time, we'd be able to have you know a first-in-class type of approach in the clinic, noting that this is unlikely to be you know best-in-class but certainly could have some clear therapeutic benefit and continuing to really foster the, the other drugs that are in the pipeline um, in hopes of having a, a, you know a therapeutic that's safe that can be, enter the, the through the blood brain barrier right. effectively uh, and promote remyelination and regeneration in patients with MS and I think the sort of grander next step is there are other disorders in which you know myelin can be you know affected sure. and so maybe we could begin to apply those but the first the first target is MS. Nice. I, I got to ask you this aside before I forget. There's a lot of uh, we feel like we always ask Paul about like naive cells yeah, so do. there was a talk this morning um we had we had Jacob here and he was telling us what he thought uh were you there did you see the talk yeah. what did you think of the of the talk of this is austin smith's talk yeah I saw, I saw austin's talk um did you find anything about it that you thought to be very interesting or new or something like well, that i think the field has a has evolved uh in in a number of interesting ways i mean the first demonstration of the derivation of epilepsy stem cells in 2007 uh, I, I was the first author on one of those papers, and the other was yeah. from Ludwig Fallier and Roger Peterson. Yeah. And, uh, you know, since then, there's been this this concept of can we find the human naive, sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. naive state. And so the advantages of that state at the time in the past were, were high, right, because the naive cells could, could be grown better, they could be right. genetically modified right, better. Right, right, they made, right. But now, now. Like, the technical advances have really gotten to a point where as of right now, this isn't this, this is sort of an academic exercise, hmm. but and there's there's a but. I think there is going to be you know novel biology that we can learn about you know human pre-implantation development right. potentially from from these cells. But until you until you sort of prove it, I, I think it's it's really tricky. The other interesting thing that I think has emerged is that there's a lot of really sort of powerful 
folks in the field who are pursuing this this type of application. So it's become like a really high profile yeah. issue. Um, and sort of to see it evolve that way uh, is pretty interesting. And you know, you could see from the questions and from Austin's responses that everyone's really defensive about their yeah, really their own really protocol. Really defensive. And there's this like media that they're trying to sell now that I see that like you can take your ESLs and add media and in a few Send weeks they go back. Yeah. Hmm. Is, I, I thought it was more difficult than that. I, I don't know. Is that me just being naive? I mean, no pun intended. Oh, nice <laughs> one. Nice sorry, one. Sorry. You're good with that. Uh, I mean, is it just a set of conditions that can revert them back? I mean, from, without genetically. Yeah, from the papers that have been published recently, and this is you know why it's controversial because I think of the individual labs who are pursuing this, and my lab is not one, not one of them. Um, you know, they all have sort of slightly different components, but the idea is that it, it is it is extrinsic factors now. Initially, it was you know genetic transgenes that could drive them back, but you know these combinations of five and six small molecules that are controlling these you know pathways in interesting ways can can revert the cells back back, back somewhere but, uh, yeah, is that truly right. the state that we're looking for i don't it, know it's an interesting concept to be like we were talking about having your back all the way against the wall and right. then your step forward in the right. prime state and then you could go back it's I know. Just sort of like we were talking about uh salamander limb regeneration it's kind of like going more STEMI, you know, it's reversing on its own just by media changes. It's, it's, it's an abstract concept in terms of, like, just thinking of a cell yeah. uh, changing its surroundings and yeah. signaling that it can revert back. And Does it want to revert th- back? Like, or? Philosophically, it doesn't exist. I feel like it's just a transient spot in, yeah. in, in, in development, right? I mean, I guess everything is, but I'm just saying, like, how... You know, I remember someone just telling me we brought it up before. You want to you want to make this you want to make this state because it's the furthest back you can go, and if you can go all the way back, it's much more standard, right? Because you're you're making all these iPS cells and ES cells. You don't know where they are in the line of pluripotency, but if you can go all the way back and get your back against the wall, you're going to be standardized. The question is, is how the heck do you know you're really against the wall? And are you so like all these questions come up? But I feel like the more high profile people get into this, and it becomes truly academic. More people are going to be getting into it, and it's going to appear to be more, uh, I don't want to use the word important than it is, uh, technically important than it is. Like, what are we doing here? I mean, I think the field is really interesting. I think the, the you know, impact of journals that many of these papers continue to be published in may not appear sort of to the outside sort of uh, general stem cell researcher, general biologist of you know, sort of why this is happening. But right. it's a really important question now, and I, I, I just don't know when or if it's going to be solved. I think the challenge from my perspective, and it's sort of unbiased because I'm sort of more interested in the epiblast state and the prime state, is that, uh, you know, the, the comment is often made that going back makes the cells better or more pristine or more ground state. Right. And, you know, I think in Austin's talk today, he sort of ended the conclusion with it's possible that these cells have a greater differentiation right. potential, potential. Which, which I find really, really challenging to, to buy or understand because... Th- differentiation by definition proceeds back through the epiblast state so right <laughs> it, it, it's really hard for me to to buy that concept but there there sort of is emerging data from like azim sarani and jacob hannah pjc's, like, 
going back allows you sort of a, a narrow window to access primordial germs of right. fate. And so, you know, uh, I think being dogmatic and saying, yeah, we don't, we don't necessarily need that state is, you know, probably a, a little bit premature of us because I think there's going to be interesting biology that we're going to learn. Sure. Well, I think it's cool. Like, I mean, we're all stem cell scientists. And for somebody to say, I have the most stemmiest of stem cells, <laughs> that's sort of like something you could put your hat on. <laughs> it's a chest puffing exercise. <laughs> I have the stemmiest stem cell. I have the stemmiest of all stem so cells. So I have to ask you, Paul, how is Cleveland doing after the whole Cavalier loss. Oh, boy. Because was it, were they really, was it hopeful? I mean, did you guys really think you could pull it off? I'm not suggesting that they never could, but I mean, it just seemed like it was a long way to go. You know, I think when he first came back, uh, everyone was, for the most part, excited. I think there was still the sort of, you know, rare person who still continues to be uh, upset for him leaving, but actually, I think it was an important (laughs) transition in in his career. Um, and so coming home was was important for the city. The, the economic impact was dramatic. I think, you know, when they started not to do particularly well to be yeah, the beginning yeah, of the no. year, I think the sort of expectations were tempered a little bit, which is probably was Im- good. important for 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 us to not be over enthusiastic in the beginning. But the team played really well. He played amazing. Yeah, this he year. ran against the Hawks. Um, was he beat? This is LeBron James. We're talking yes, about. He, He's. I wa- I have watched him more this year than I really have ever watched yeah. him play. And he is like a freak of nature. He is, you know, where he is on the court compared to any yeah. any other human being. Yeah. It's tremendous what he what he does. I mean, and he's great for the community. He has a foundation that just does tremendous things for kids in Cleveland. Um, he he's really a strong impact. You know, puts Cleveland on the map in in multiple multiple ways and i think you know we will get there it's hard to get so close because you always know. know you're one ankle yeah, away know, even, even lebron said i'd rather not get to the you know playoffs than lose in the finals i know yeah, it, so. was, it was uh they'll come he'll he's gonna be back right didn't he have a year and then he can opt i think he'll come back well, he, he opted out but he, you know he's just gonna restructure said, yeah Kyrie's locked up kevin love you know today he'll said he's coming back i'm wearing oh. my Kyrie ones by the way no, are you really <laughs> yeah. yeah wait he's gonna come back love's coming back that's what he, you know, he, he sort of said all but committed that he's going to come back. So right. I, I think they'll, you know, I think they'll have a really strong team and, uh, you know, but. Well, there you, you go. Well, We're yeah, not well, all just dorks in the lab. We're well, also following Well, listen, when you, here, so. when you get to the point where you're having dinner with LeBron James, just just mention him to me. Tell him to me, mention, say, hey, look, LeBron, we got a couple friends that got a show. And, uh, if you, you have really an extra, 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 extra large uh, stem cell <laughs> podcast <laughs> you, t-shirt, you can get it to I'll him. keep it with me. Oh, yeah. And, uh, next time, you know, Let's, next time I bump in. you would be like, yo, LeBron, can you wear this? <laughs> Thanks great. a lot, Paul, man. Enjoy yeah, the rest of the conference. Thanks, guys. All right. All right, so we're joined here by Amy Cochran from Queen's University Belfast, and um, we actually met last night, uh, and she wanted to come by the podcast and say hello, so we thought we'd interview her. Yeah. Welcome, Welcome to, the, to the show. So uh, what brings you to ISSCR this year? So I'm in my second year of my PhD, uh, so I differentiate iPS cells towards endothelial cells. And I guess everyone knows you can do that. You can differentiate cells into anything, but no one actually understands the underlying mechanisms, what actually goes on. So the point of my research is to find out what they are, and then you can kind of... Whose lab are you in? Um, Andriana Margariti. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, do you have a poster, or are you uh, just here Dude, to observe? I had a poster on Wednesday. Oh, okay. how'd, it, how'd it go? Good? So Did it go well? It was good, yeah, yeah. There wasn't very many vascular... 
fail. It just I don't think. But uh, <laughs> I had a couple of people coming. They're out there. Me. They're out there. <laughs> yeah, they are. They'll yeah. find you for sure. <laughs> they will for find sure. You. Yeah. So what do you think so far? Anything uh, really exciting? Uh, some talks you saw or posters you saw that really piqued your Definitely. interest? I think like all the organoid stuff is just organoid. It's just cool. <laughs> like, 3D man. It's yeah. 3D. People like 3D. Yeah, so. we were we were talking about organoids. We were just we were talking about them, and we were saying that without standard standardization, though, their the variability could be higher than two D systems. You know, because if you don't reform the structure every time the same way, and you're going to do your analysis, they would have to be very similar each time. Yeah. So I think it's a still obviously a growing area of this. And the with the idea being organoids are more in vivo like. I'm assuming that's the rationale. The variability is something that we, they need to really we need to make sure we well, get. That's right. kind of like the point of my project, like because if you understand what these underlying mechanisms are, you can standardize it because you know exactly what to focus in on. Uh huh. Um, because you know you know you can push it towards something. You know you can make an organoid or make a cell. But if you understand what the underlying mechanisms are, then everyone can make it the same way in theory. Hmm. See, yeah, there's a certain amount of stochasticity going on. I know that I uh, haven't really wrapped my head around. How to how to standardize something like that, um, and it's amazing how these cells have their own internal instinct yeah. uh, to yeah. say produce yeah. layers of a brain. Or I'm not sure yeah. how that applies to your research, but um, actually, would you be able to use organoids in what you're trying to do? Not really. It okay. wouldn't be as relevant. Right. But yeah, no, I think though, like cells having their own identity and stuff. I always talk about it. I mean. I always get a lot of abuse from my friends from the way I teach my students. <laughs> but, uh-huh. um, you know, how, like, the cells do have their own identity and you need to really standardize it because, you know, you're differentiating cells. It's just kind of like, you know, people going through puberty. Like, you want to <laughs> push them through school and make them go the right ways, but you're going to get ones that go off and right. do their own thing. And it's right. kind of the same right, way right. with stem cells. So you need to have it standardized. I love a good analogy. <laughs> I always use that analogy in teaching. I always say that these stem cells, pluripotent cells, are like humans. And that we choose, and so do they. And our job in the lab is to minimize choice. We are supposed to tell them to behave a certain way until we're ready. And then we direct them down the path. But as much as, you know, as good a parents as we can be, mm-hmm. sometimes you come in and they've run away. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and yeah. sometimes <laughs> they go too far, we can't get them back. So it's, it's understanding the mechanisms and understanding these things to control um, which we talked about last night. Really, mm-hmm. if you can, you can make a cell type, but understanding how the cell type is created and made mechanistically is really what's in the end important, right? Yeah, so that, exactly. I think that's what you, you're, you're doing mm-hmm. in the lab a little bit, looking at mechanism. Is that right? Like understanding mechanisms. Yeah, what, yeah. 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 yeah, I like mechanism. You like mechanism? Oh. You don't like mechanism? Journals. I, I'm more Journals about, love yeah, mechanism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, What's the mechanism? I'm more. I that's the question. I'm, uh, that's the question. I, I, I'm a favor. I, You're I like, an endpoint guy. I'm an endpoint guy. Yeah. yeah, I really am. I and you know you kind of need e- both. Each, there's you definitely need you both. Kind of need both because if we can't get to the yeah. endpoint, I can't find out why. Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean. That's true. So I mean, there needs to be an endpoint. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, will you plan to come back to ISSCR in the future meetings? Yeah, I hope definitely. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully next year. <laughs> Next year, it's in San Francisco. Exactly. West Coast, U.S., beautiful. Napa. Yeah. We're going to probably try to get out to Napa Valley. Yeah. Um, but so thank you for telling us a little bit about yourself. No problem. Enjoy the rest of the conference. <laughs> All right. All right. So we have a, uh, a two for one. We got to get another microphone, by the way, at some yeah, point. Yeah, maybe we uh, need four next Yeah, we year. need a bunch of microphones. So we have uh, William Price from STEM Cultures here, uh, upstate New York, Rensselaer, New York. What's up, Will? How you doing, man? Good. How are you? I'm thank good. You. 
Thank you for inviting us. Yeah, no problem. So this is this is good because you're not a scientist. I am not. So it's good when we get non-scientists here too because we like to understand what your stem stem cell story is. So we, you, obviously you're involved in the stem cell industry somehow. So as a non-scientist, tell you tell us here what what, what you're doing for the ISCR 2015. I think it's great. You know, uh, you are able to see a lot of new and evolving technologies. There's a lot of excitement, um, a lot of young people, you know, postdocs, you know, graduate students, senior leadership being here, you know, passing on the torch. And, uh, you know, it's really, it's a very humbling experience to be a part of it. And uh, we're really excited to be here. And uh, for me personally, I just, there's a lot to learn. And it's a very fast-paced environment. So tell us about the company you're with. Um, you know, you're here for that reason. So give us a little quick snippet into the company. Yep. So um, STEM Cultures, what we do is we have a micro-encapsulation technology whereby we can have a sustained release of growth factors. Primarily, we do that with FGF2, Activin, and EGF. And then uh, we have a funnel for, you know, new growth factors that meet the needs of the market. Well, I have to say um, I started using the beads more recently on a weekly basis now that I moved out in New York and uh, it's quite a commute so I have one day off whereas before I used to be in the lab every day and uh, the beads have really helped uh, facilitate good my one day Sabbath my scientific Sabbath <laughs> so uh, I really appreciate the FGF beads so thank you thank you yeah no so Even these though, are you know. these are stem beads as I should say the name of the product stem beads FGF so we also have uh, Philip Manos He's gonna hand the mic off. What's up, Phil? How's it going, man? Hey guys, how are you guys doing? We're doing we're doing very Thanks well. Thanks for inviting us. No problem. So you're here uh, also involved in STEM culture. So tell us yep. what you do there uh -huh. for the company. Uh, yeah. So for me, this is incredibly exciting because I've really been on the research side for the last eight six years, and uh, now getting to move into the reagents and learn the business aspect. And it's incredible to just really understand it's going to be a team effort, and it includes evolving technologies in combination with incredibly intelligent, intelligent scientists. And, um, yeah, for me at STEM Cultures, it's really been about making sure we're meeting the needs of the market and mm -hmm. making sure that we're noticing trends and adapting and making sure that we're, you know, progressing, yep. you know, and offering something new that, that's going to be viable and, and helpful to the scientists. I think that's an important point for the people on the industry side and the business side that there is a kind of reciprocal interact i mean there has to be feedback from both you know you the, the and, and the, the, the industries have to understand what's going on in the science and the science also has to understand the the business in the industry you know like this is what we need as a scientist this you know this is what we would like mm -hmm. and and because without that i imagine for even you know for companies they want to produce products that we use and that we like so as someone as a science now you see both sides and, yeah. and now i think I mean, for me as well you can appreciate that uh interaction so if you had a good interest and in some people talking to you about what they think mm -hmm. uh through, mm -hmm. throughout the past couple of days yeah it's it's uh well yeah that in particular but i think just even more generally it's amazing that you know there seems to sometimes be a delay in terms of getting technology and things that people find in their research labs and then Know, getting to, to a point that is reproducible enough to provide as a high-quality product and reagent. Um, so for me, it's really exciting to see that we're now at the point, really, that a lot of these ideas and concepts are evolving to this point here, and you see the growth and the strength in, in working together and collaboratively such as that, um, and it's really powerful now that that's, that's really the case. Cool. 
Uh, can you t- let us know if anyone out there wants to go find more information about STEM Cultures oh, products? Absolutely. Where they can go? No, no, absolutely. We're here to make your lives easier. So um, stop by our booth. What number? No, this is actually going to be airing way past booth time. Oh, no so problem. Oh, no, no, like ret- no retroactive booths? Yes, would, act, no. <laughs> act like you're in the future right now. <laughs> no, Michael no, my J. apologies. Pop. So, no, absolutely. So, please come find us. We have a website, stemcultures.com. Um, you can reach out to us through there. Uh, contact information is there as well. Um, and reach out to myself or, or Will here. And nice. we can help you get started. Awesome. Thank you guys for taking the time, man. Oh, Enjoy the rest it. of the meeting. Thanks for having All us. Right, you too. Okay, so we're joined here by Tyler Miller. He's at Case Western, and he's... Are you a postdoc in the... Uh, uh, MDP, MD-PhD oh student. Oh, boy, we got a mud We got a mud here. here. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Uh, so uh, what brings you ISSCR this year? Yeah, so it's my first conference. Uh, so I'm in Paul Tizar's lab, and we have a cool project that we're presenting here, and so wanted to come. Also, it was in Stockholm, so it made the decision easy to, yeah, to come over here. Look at that guy, Paul, uh, sending his students what's, what's across like the pond. What's it like having like a, a cool PI? Because I, I think Paul's a pretty, you know, he's definitely a serious scientist, but yeah. he's somebody that you could actually like have a go have hang a beer out with. with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's awesome. It's a lot of fun. I mean, he's a great person to just to hang out with and talk to, talk to about life stuff. Right. Talk to about science. Let stuff. me ask you this question: Does he get mad? Like, do you, does he get fired up? Can you get <laughs> it's a real amazing fired up? how well he keeps his cool? Because there's some shit that happens in the lab that I would be like fired up, yeah. And, yeah, and he, he, he and I get fired up about it, and he just like yeah. I know yeah. he's boiling down I deep. I can't see but him getting fired up, yeah. like to the point where he's going nuts. But uh, I try to arouse him a little bit and get him going. I yeah. just saw him over by the M M&M and M container. I keep catching him over there. Um, he loves but his no, chocolate. He's a great guy. He's a, a really, a really smart scientist. Who's going to be honored tomorrow? We talked to him a bit. How um, how is your feedback from the post that you presented from the work in the lab? Did you get good feedback? Yeah, it's been fantastic. I'm, I just presented right now, and so I'm going to go back and go stand by there, but I wanted to catch you guys before you took off. Um, no, it's been really good. I had some editors come over and talk about it. I um, had some people in the field come over. Um, it's been it's been fun. It's, it's a lot of fun had to talk an about. Editor come video. to my poster. I'd I know. be a little. I'd be a little nervous. I know. There. I'd clam up a little bit. Yeah, no, that was good. It was great. That's why you want to come to these that's things. That's why right? you want to come. That's good. You want to embrace the positive and you want to embrace the negative because also you need like you need critique. Otherwise, it's hard to really move yeah, forward. Yeah, for sure. So that's right. why that's why it's good to. Yeah, it's, it's great to come here, talk to them, say, "What do you guys want to see before we submit this thing?" Right. Right. You know, what what do you require for this to get sent out and have a good chance of getting Getting in, um, so it's good to get the feedback up up front. So you're a podcast listener, yeah. All right, huge good. Fan of the show. So you can you can spread the word. I'm sure you do throughout yeah, the uh, Cleveland. Get a t-shirt. I haven't got a t-shirt. Yeah, I got this man a t-shirt. I hope I you might have to give you, give up one of mine for for you. Oh, so, that'd be uh, awesome. All right, yeah, because it is the last day. I know we, it is the. I can't believe it, I can't believe it went so fast. You know, Tyler, we had like. Four hours or so worth of audio interviews. So we're gonna have a lot. That's awesome. We're gonna so you guys are gonna split it up, right? Yeah, yeah we're heard gonna, you split it up. Yeah, we're next, gonna split it up. Two. We haven't figured out how, but we're gonna split it up and get a bunch of it. You guys are about to hear. We get everything from a, someone who's had a stem cell transplant, right? A yeah, patient. That's wild. Yeah. To to that's Sean cool. Morrison, who's the president, president yeah, yeah, yeah. elect. So we got. Yeah, a I loved good, his interview. Yeah, we got yeah. a good, we got a good, good range. So thanks for taking a few minutes to coming on, man. Yeah, yeah, thanks for having me on. All right, take care. 
All right, so we're going to close out the day. We have a great way to close out the day. Our guest is Dr. Sean Morrison, UT Southwestern, the president-elect of the International Society of Stem Research. Yes. Welcome to the show. For the second time, we had him on earlier. Welcome to the show. So great to see you guys again. <laughs> yeah. And this time in person. This is a live thing. This is, so, this is so much fun. You both have faces made for radio. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. No, ISSER did a... Awesome job here for us. We have this little nook here. People have been really excited to come over and tell their stem cell story. We get to get hear a T-shirt. Yeah, we get to hear why people are excited about the field, why they're excited to be here. It's fantastic. It's a really great, great opportunity. Well, it's really great that you guys are here and doing this. It's a, it's a something that helps increase the impact of the meeting. Nice. Yeah, it's been an honor. And I just did my first poster session, and it's really overwhelming. It's like just seeing all this work, and it's gorgeous. It's this is inspiring. the premier international meeting for stem cell research. We've got 3,700 people 3, here from 66 different countries. Really? Yeah. And, you know, the attendance at ISSCR meetings over the past 10 years has been on a steady upward trend. And, you know, we regularly set records. That's, nice. that's, that's amazing. Now, tell us this. Do you get a feel in the past few years, especially this year, that we're starting to see stem cells get to where we want it to go? The, the smell is in the air of translation and new therapeutics. Totally. When, um, you know, when all the public policy debates were happening in the United States over stem cell research, there was a lot of discussion about the promise of stem cells. And, you know, a lot of talk about, you know, would, it, would we be able to treat spinal cord injury, Parkinson's disease? The science has le- lurched forward much more quickly than I thought it would. I thought it was going to be a long time. I thought a lot of those things would never be realistic. And yet all of those things are going into clinical trials, and there's exciting preclinical data. Yeah. We're seeing clinical trials, as, you know, from that remarkable session we just had. Yes. There's clinical trials starting in the area of juvenile diabetes, in the area of Parkinson's disease, mm-hmm. spinal cord injury, macular degeneration. You know, these are major public health problems. And, you know, there will be setbacks. Sure. And not everything is going to work. But if some of these things work, it will change the world for groups of patients. Right. It will. And, you know, we, I can, I can only imagine, I know uh, for, for patients looking for something, you want to you wanna be able to present them with some hope. We want to obviously temper that. We, we interviewed... Uh, the the team that did closer look on the ISSCR website for patients that are in these positions, unfortunately, where they're looking for something and they're looking to stem cells, because we're getting closer. We're not there yet, and this is a place where they can go. Right, Yos, we had that interview to find out information on what the status is, what's good, what's not to do. I know ISSCR has been really upfront about informing patients and people like that who are looking. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, unfortunately, in a field like this where there's a lot of promise and where the public believes that this research correctly believes that this research has the potential to to yield new cures, there are snake oil salesmen out there who try to benefit personally by preying on the hopes of desperate patients and selling selling fraudulent therapies that, you know, are either based on junk science or no science. Right. And so ISSCR has stood up for appropriate regulation of stem cell research. And sometimes that has mean, meant opposing efforts to curtail the research. And sometimes it's meant asking for more regulation, for example, in the area of, of unproven therapies. Right. So ISSCR is trying to be a voice that allows good science to go forward in an efficient way and effective translation without people preying on the hopes of yeah. desperate patients. Yeah. yeah. 
And so one of your other roles is uh, PI. Uh, any uh, work that you have here or work coming out soon that you want to highlight or uh, something that you're really excited about? We have one of my postdocs is giving a talk tomorrow about our work okay. on the hematopoietic stem cell niche. Mm-hmm. Um, we've, we've uh, as he'll talk about tomorrow, we figured out how to do deep imaging in the bone marrow. So we can clear bone marrow and bones and do confocal imaging to see the entire bone marrow what? compartment. So these bone, when I say cleared, you can read the newspaper through these bones. <laughs> They're completely see-through. Really? And is we found that, a, that new technique, wow, uh, the, is it like a clarity so thing? Or? Well, it's like clarity, like, but it's a different technique, but it accomplishes the same thing. Excellent. Yeah, it works better in bone marrow than clarity does. Wow. And, and we found a gene that's highly restricted that's in its crazy. expression to stem cells that's and insane. knocked GFP into the locus. So the stem so cells all glow glowing. green. Glowing. And then we can that's see all the green stem cells so cool. throughout oh, the bone marrow. This must we be incredible for for you who's who's been in this field, you know, from growing and been in there from one of the early, and to see the tools evolve with it. Now you can do something like this. It must be just incredible for you to watch this come unfold and come yeah, out. Yeah, you know, it's um, it's sometimes sometimes hard to see the progress from one year to the next, but if you look over longer time frames, over five years, over ten years. There's huge progress in, in lots of different areas mm. uh, of stem cell research. And so it is gratifying. And, you know, this is a field that is going to change the future of regenerative yeah, medicine. For sure. Well, I'm excited to that for that visualization. It's always been like a drawing in a textbook. And it's not something when people mention bone marrow to me, I just think of something like a cave, like a deep in a cave in a tube somewhere deep within the bones. and to Yeah, it's to been a black box. Yeah. And, you know, we and others have, have tried to understand more about it by cutting thin sections, but you always get a piece of the story with a thin section. Right. Now we can digitally reconstruct entire bone bones worth of bone marrow, and we can fly through in three dimensions Don't and do close-ups on individual yeah. stem cells and then back out yep. and close-ups on other individual stem cells. Well, that's Windows into the world, yeah. man. I can't wait to see that's that. That's awesome. Well, so. thank you so much for giving us a little bit of time. Yeah. Appreciate it. And we thank ISSCR for the opportunity, really. Yeah, thank you for doing this. No great problem. to see you guys. You too. Okay, so there it is. Sweden's all wrapped up. There it is. All ISSCR 2015 in the books officially. We closed it out with the president of ISSCR, uh, Sean Morrison, who gave us a perspective on you know where things are going in the field. Um, that was great. A lot of fun. Looking forward to doing it again next year. Next year it's in San Francisco, the left coast. Oh. We'll be out there, of course. And, and uh, We'll do it again. And, yeah. uh, you know, we'll, we'll do it again. What we're going to have to do, Yost, is figure out a better way to for us to sneak out and, and go hear talks. Otherwise, you know, we're going to have to get some volunteers who are going to hear the talks to come to the podcast and give us, like, an update on the session, you know? Yeah, the times I was like able to sneak away, I, it was really, I mean, some of the sessions, like the neurodegeneration sen- session I attended was just awesome. Justin was part of it. And, uh, you know, Kevin Egan was part of it, although I missed his talk, but I talked to him personally about his, uh, his, uh, presentation afterwards. So it'd be nice to get, you know, some more of that going on, but, uh, we'll, we'll figure it out. So with that said, let's rant it up. All right. So to continue along with the theme of travel, since we were traveling for this, um, you know, for this episode, these past two episodes, we ranted about some things about, you know, on the plane and things like that. So now we're going to talk about and rant about some of the things we encountered coming off 
The first of which, and this is, happens at the airport a lot, are those stupid maze lines, Yost, that you got to wait, like weave through. When you get there and there's nobody in the line, and you still have to do this like huge, like surface area <laughs> uh, walk around, and uh, you can try to cut and go under it, but it's sometimes really low and it's awkward. You got a bag, you can't really get under it, so you end up walking through the whole thing. Do they normally have someone standing there, right? Can't they just like unclip it and let you go or just have like a, a fast lane or something like that? Yeah, there's nothing more that makes you feel like cattle than doing that. Like you just feel like a cog in the machine when you're just going around and around and back and forth. And you're like, you know, th- we could save uh, some time here and be more efficient. We don't need the like 200 person line maze going on when there's only 20 people in the line. <laughs> It but, does feel like if someone, if an alien from outer space is looking down and watching one person walk through that maze, they're probably like, what is going on in this like yeah. crazy world? Like, why are these people being forced into these like lines? It does feel like I'm in like a, like a, like a maze puzzle and I'm trying like, I, like at some point I'm going to hit a wall and realize I went the wrong way. I have to turn around and go back through the maze. Yeah. Uh, I like, I so, like how you said the large surface area. That's, that's a nice scientific way of putting it. Yeah, it is. It. It's like the mitochondria outer wall. Um, yeah. The there Chris, you go. The Chris Day. Christe. Um, there you go. Oh my God, I haven't said Christe in a long so, time. Yeah, so, so you weave like your a... way through there, and then you make your way to the duty free. Yes, yes. Oh, duty free. What the heck is duty free? We by don't the know. Way? Yosef and I don't know what duty free is. <laughs> Everybody goes into the duty free and they want to buy things because it's cheaper and you're going to get a good deal. But then I go over and looking at these things and they're pretty expensive. Yeah. So I don't really <laughs> understand what is the duty free. It's like, some branding that they put. I guess they are like, oh, there's no VAT tax or some sort of import fee. But you know, you're right. It still costs. Like it's not that great of a deal. I, I don't. It, no, it's not. Like I, I, I feel like it's a ploy to get you to go buy things. Like it's duty free, so everyone's like, "Oh, you got to go buy, you know, a bottle of vodka and the duty free." And I'm, so I go in and I look at the bottle of vodkas, and I'm thinking to myself, "I could get this back home for cheaper." Like, why yeah. am I? What am I doing here? Why? What is the duty? And why? What is free? Nothing is free. And and how they scam it so that like once you get out of security or wherever you're going. You have to pass through there. There's no way you could get to where, you, you know, your gate without going through duty-free. Yeah, you it's have like, to go through the duty-free. It's like the casino. Like, in order to get to your the hotel elevator, you have to walk through the casino to get you to spend your money. Yes, you're It's right. like the same idea. <laughs> it is. It is. They and then they call it duty-free. Anything with free in it is good marketing. Yeah. You know, like, if there's free in the title, you're going to go and check it out. But then you realize that without the duty, like, it's still really expensive. Well, whoever started that, I know actually the the guy who there's that new Cornell Tech Center that's uh, being built on Roosevelt Island for uh, Cornell. It's uh, in New York City. It's the guy who contributed to that or gave the three hundred million dollar donation. It was it was anonymous, and then they found out it was the founder of Duty Free who just gave away three hundred million dollars. So that guy's. You know, he's done pretty well for himself if he Wait, could. there's a founder of Duty Free? Yeah, the guy who started Duty Free is the guy who gave that $300 million anonymously. So he's definitely uh, loaded, and uh, he's done well for himself with the Duty Free. So, uh, the, well, I, he must be collecting all the duty, and yeah. we, we don't get anything for free, because I don't understand what the hell a Duty Free is. If anyone out there knows what Duty Free is... And can give me a good explanation. Don't tell me something like, "Well, there's no tax, whatever." Because in the end, the bottom line is, I'm spending the same amount. I get nothing. I get nothing for free. Well, so um, I think that's uh, we've been long enough with this episode, Yos. We'll uh, 
We'll resume in episode 50 with the roundup, the Thermo Fisher roundup, and George Daly for the interview. Looking forward to it, man. Yeah, me too. All right. Talk to you later. All right, man. Talk to you. All right.